What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Benjamin. And welcome to episode 29 of Two Black Nerds. Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcast. Anyway. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. Yes, and yes. let's not forget, head over to TwoBlackNerds.com to order some merchandise. We got t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodies, stickers, mugs, everything you need. So go ahead and place your orders right now. This is the final episode of 2020 coming from Two Black Nerds. What yes, a crazy-ass yes. year it's been. It was been. terrible. Terrible, <laughs> awful, draining, stressful. Yeah. I mean, just everything you could imagine. There were a few wins here and there, a mm-hmm. few bright spots. But overall, man, trash-ass year. Trash-ass yeah, year. The bad outweighs the good, unfortunately. Absolutely. That is the unfortunate circumstance of it all. But uh, nonetheless, though 2020 was a pretty shitty year, it was a mm-hmm. shitstorm of, of many different things, we yeah. actually got some really, really good stuff to end mm-hmm. off the year. We got some... Some, some great, you know, films, some, yeah. some okay films, maybe some things that we, we thought might have done better. But we're going to talk about those today. We got plenty to get to, as usual, on this episode of Two Black Nerds. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right into it, man. Mm. We got to talk about it. We got to start topic. off this week. Big, big topic. Big, big, huge movie that dropped uh, this past week on HBO Max. We are, of course, talking about Wonder Woman 1984, mm. which was directed by Patty Jenkins and also yeah. written by Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns and Dave Callahan. Um, and the film is, of course, starring Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, and Pedro Pascal. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. citizens of the world. I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. Look like you saw a ghost. Diana, look at you. It's like not one day has passed. I don't want to be like... Anyone. I want to be an apex predator. You've always had everything, while people like me have had nothing. Well, now it's my turn. Get used to it. been one for rules. The answer is always more. The way I fly, they will never find us. I forgot to tell you. What? Radar. Will they will they shoot at us? You 
You know, I'm not so keen on this one. I figure uh, you are, but you know what? I'm ready to go. I think we can do better. Parachute pants? Yeah. Um... Does, it, does everybody parachute now? Yeah. Uh, again, this just dropped on HBO Max. We've been waiting on Wonder Woman 1984 for the longest. It was initially supposed to come out in June of this year. COVID happened. They pushed it back to October. Mm-hmm. COVID still was happening, and then they pushed it back to Christmas. Although, things changed since then, and they decided, well, we're going to still come out on Christmas, but we're going to release the film day and date simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max, which yeah. has never really happened before. And I would say that this is you know, certainly the biggest film of the pandemic era to, to, mm-hmm. to drop on, you know, streaming platforms first, um, as well as, of course, being in theaters and being available to to all those who have movie theaters uh, accessible around them. But with all of that said, let's get right into it, man. We're going to start off and talk about some non-spoiler thoughts. We're going to give just like our brief general reactions of the movie, but uh, we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie because, again, we got you know, to. HBO Max, yeah, HBO Max is there, so you can go and watch it right now. You only got about... I think like 27 days left to watch it, but we really can't talk about this movie uh, beyond a surface level without spoiling it. So yeah. um, if you have not seen the movie, we'll let you know when you can just like sort of duck out, pause, or maybe fast forward. But we're going to start off with some non-spoiler, just general mm-hmm. reactions to the movie. Uh, so I just got to ask you, man, starting off, what did you think about Wonder Woman 1984? Man, um, I don't even know how to phrase this. Um, some some good, some bad. Um I am definitely in the middle when it comes to this movie. It's I don't think it's amazing, nor do I think it's terrible. I think it just is. And uh, what I will say is I am very disappointed. Um, there's a, a certain threshold that I held this movie at. Um, of course, given the cast and Patty Jenkins herself and the way the first movie went and things like that. Um, and I think that it is, it was just, it's just, it was a weird watch for me having those um, expectations. Maybe I disappointed, <laughs> you know, disappointed for myself. Maybe I had too high of expectations. I don't know. Um, but that's how I feel. I'm kind of in the middle, like I said. Um, and I'm going to leave it at that for now until we get into the spoilers, man. What about you? Uh, similar. Disappointed is the biggest word. Probably the nicest thing that I could say about it <laughs> is that I'm disappointed in yeah. it. Uh, disappointed in it because the first film was so great and was such a surprise and such a pleasant um, film to experience. So this was, this was disappointing to say the least. And I, you know, I'm not a part of like the 10 zero culture that sort of exists Mm. on Twitter and social media. Like something's either the best thing you've ever seen or Mm -hmm. it's the worst thing you've ever seen. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't fall into that category. And that's definitely been something that's been reflected about this movie in particular. We'll talk about that, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I fall in the middle as well. Uh, Unfortunately, the more I go back and rewatch certain elements of it, I'm becoming even less in the middle and I'm more on the, oh, this is getting even worse than I initially thought it was. So it's unfortunate that that turned out to be the case, again, because the first film was so great. I had really high expectations for this, probably, you know, like you said, our own faults there. Uh, But we've been, you know, we've been anticipating this movie for a really long time. We Mm -hmm. knew that it was going to be set in the 80s for a really long time. We got our first trailer. I just, you know, thought about this. We got the first trailer for this movie a year ago, like last December yeah. was when they debuted the very first trailer. And I remember seeing it and it had the blue Monday song in the background. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and obviously here we are a year later, we finally saw it just not live up to the expectations that I personally set for it. Yeah. There are some good things. There are a few bright spots, but the bad does outweigh the good in this instance, just like 2020 as a whole. So mm-hmm. that's the unfortunate aspect of it. But 
those are the general thoughts. So, um, again, like we said, we're gonna we're gonna really spoil this movie um, and get into the get into the weeds of things. So, if you have not seen Wonder Woman 1984, if you've yet to still watch it, uh, we would definitely encourage you if you don't want things spoiled to either fast forward past this part or just stop and you know go and watch the movie and come back and listen to the episode later. But this is your official spoiler warning. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get into it instantly and talk about spoilers for Wonder Woman 1984. So I'll just go ahead and start off with like some of the good things that I really liked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening on Themyscira, yeah. I think probably is my favorite part of the movie in, in reality. Like mm-hmm. went back and watched that quite a few times. Um, it, it's incredible action. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's shot with IMAX cameras. So you see that aspect ratio change. Hans Zimmer's score is phenomenal. You know, it really, mm-hmm. it really brings it to life. And I think, I think it sets the stage really nicely, and I think anytime we can get back on Themyscira, um, that's really good stuff. I also really liked, uh, you know, Pedro Pascal as Max Lord. I mean, he damn near carried the entire movie. His whole character, uh, yeah. he his whole mantra was "Life is good, but it could be better," which is very reminiscent of Gordon Gecko mm-hmm. um, and that speech from Wall Street: "Greed is good." Mm-hmm. Very much reminiscent of just like '80s culture: excess, more, more, more is mm-hmm. always good. Get as much as you can. Uh, he was really villainous for the most part, but we saw his arc. He actually had a had a redeeming moment at the end of the movie. But um, I think Pedro Pascal. I mean, he was just he was hamming it the fuck up. He was having a whole lot of fun. Yeah. He knew what type of movie he was in. He knew that this was like balls to the wall, cheesy, over the top, just again reminiscent of that '80s culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he really brought it. And I also think you know I think Chris Pine coming back as Steve Trevor and. Um, Gal Gadot's chemistry mm-hmm. was uh, reminiscent somewhat of the first one. I think I think it was more present in the first one, but they had their moments. It was somewhat reminiscent of that good chemistry that they really established in that first film. It carried over here, and he was sort of like the fish out of water this time instead mm-hmm. of it being her. So you got to see him sort of interact and like think about 80s culture and like how things have changed since he you know died in the first film, which was in, I think, 1919 or 1920. So this mm-hmm. is decades later, of course. So, you know, those were some of the good things that I really liked. And then, you know, some of the action beats outside of the Themyscira scene, like the car chase that happened in Cairo, mm-hmm. um, that was some some pretty impressive action there. It was really, really cool to see Diana in that situation. Mm-hmm. We, we found out later you know, that she was, like, actually weaker and losing her power. Mm-hmm. But to still see her just, like, do incredible, amazing shit is always just, like, a, a, a feast to see. Um, so those were a few of the highlights for me. Um, you know, overall, I think... Again, it could have been a lot better. I'll get into the negative stuff in a second, but I mm-hmm. want to see like what were, what were other things that you stood out in a in a spoilery context. If you want to go into that type of stuff, what stood out to you? Yeah, a lot of that stuff is actually very similar. Um, anytime I'm in Themyscira, I'm having a good time. Like even the first Wonder Woman, Themyscira is also close to my favorite part of the movie, outside of the uh, No Man's Land, uh, you you know, uh, sequence there. But I just really love Themyscira, man. I think the beginning is a it's a good way to get people into the movie. Um, I think even going back to Justice League when, you know, Themyscira was in it for a second, even though Steppenwolf is questionable, but, you know, it's still cool, always cool for me to see Themyscira. So I did, too, enjoy that part. Um, I didn't mind the mall scene so much only because I just liked the little black girl interaction where, you know, she, like, looks at her, you know, she's having the whole... It's, it felt cheesy that the 84 that I needed right there. I was like, okay, you introduced me some cheesiness. Um, but I'll talk about that scene again later on. But um, I think, uh, like you said, I really like the car chase scene. The the moments where we actually had action, I was good with. 
you know, mm. like, well, except we just have one more action. But like the first couple action scenes <laughs> that that we actually got, um, I was okay with, and I think um, those are some of the things I like. I will also say, uh, I I don't think the actors did a good job. I don't think what's wrong with the movie is none of their faults. Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, I think all did what they came to do. I think the the issues were not them as actors per se. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed them too, for sure. And then um, I think there was one other thing I liked and I, I forgot what it was, but I think um, there are, there are certain cheesy moments that I will say I enjoyed in the film, um, which were um, things like, how she runs sometimes is just really cheesy, but it's like mm-hmm. it reminds me of the TV show so much. I was like, "Oh, I'm watching the Wonder Woman TV show here in this moment," or when she learns um, how to fly. I like the moment, but we'll talk about that later too. Um, but yeah, I just like the some of the cheesy stuff that actually had give a callback to Wonder Woman that Patty Jenkins told us about initially, right? Um, so yeah, I I, th- I think uh, those are some of the things I like. Yeah, well, there were there were definitely some moments that were supposed to be, be intentionally cheesy because it exactly. is like an it's supposed to be like an '80s action movie. Which, if you've ever seen an '80s action movie, guess what? They're cheesy as fuck. As like hell. go and go and watch Commando. Go and watch Rambo. Go yeah. and watch. I mean, literally any Schwarzenegger, yeah. Stallone, or yeah. Jean Claude Van Damme from the '80s. Like they're over the top, yep. cheesy, full of catchphrases. lines, yep. full of catchphrases and mm-hmm. one-liners and puns. Like that's how they are. So mm-hmm. in that sense, like it, it was, it was fulfilling that purpose. I, I think to get into the negative side, man, which again is unfortunately a lot, and a lot. I think we'll probably yeah, spend the most time on this stuff. Like uh-huh. the first big thing for me that just doesn't really make sense and doesn't work. Like this movie is called Wonder Woman 1984. Mm-hmm. And I barely felt like they actually really leaned into the 80s at all. Like, yeah. re- realistically, like, why did this movie need to take place in 1984? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we get the opening mall sequence. That whole, like, opening, like, three or four minute sequence, like, they threw in every 80s cliche you could have. Mm-hmm. Malls, bright pastel colors, mm-hmm. jumpsuits, break dancing, Like, all of that stuff was there in that moment. But then for the rest of the movie, you never really got any other, you know, signature 80s stuff in the movie like it i don't think it really needs to be set in 1984 and mm-hmm. also 84 was such a pivotal year a so when they stuff. first announced this movie yeah. i'm thinking like oh yeah there there's so much to tackle there because the first film being set in world war one in 1920 i believe i mean it dealt with the the themes of that time like the the, the war of men the war to end all wars like and how did the mascara play into that like it it dealt with a lot of that and here in 84 you have a presidential ele- election happening. You have the Olympics happening. Music is is hitting a new high, and there were no really no needle drops at all. Mm-hmm. Like there was barely any, you know, real. They, like there were a couple of songs, but it just felt like that they left a lot on the table. Yeah. You know, with with the '80s nostalgia, mm-hmm. especially when we've seen other properties do it so well, such as Stranger Things, which yeah. they of course lean knock into it, it water heavily, yep. and they knock it out the park every single time. Mm-hmm. Like, and even the mall that they had in Stranger Things was. I mean, it felt better and, you know, even mm-hmm. like more classic than the mall that was in this movie. Right. So I just I just really wondered, like, why why did we have to be here in the 80s? Because those like themes that I you know spoke about earlier of like greed and consumption and power and wanting more, more, more like those were particularly 80s and like that era of like Reaganomics and things of that nature. But they're still also relevant now. So you could have you could have still done that now. So I just again, I wonder why 1984 was really necessary. 
Um, the big one, obviously, that I think a lot of people have talk- spoken about, it, it absolutely rings true. The pacing of this movie Terrible. is just not good. Not good at all. It's like, not good. There's just no, you know, there's no real, like, for, for a long time, and I clocked it, like, mm-hmm. when I went back and watched it, like, after that mall sequence, which was, like, the second true ac- action mm-hmm. sequence of the movie, there isn't another action sequence for an hour and four minutes. Yeah. An hour and four minutes. Yeah. Like, listen... This is a comic book superhero movie, yeah. right? Like, we've been doing this for 40 years now. Mm-hmm. There's just a certain expectation that everybody has when they come to see a superhero movie. There's going to be action. That's that's why a lot of people watch them. And mm-hmm. and that's not to say that superhero movies can't be other things. They can't be more, you know, more, more focused on character study. Yeah. They can't have their moments of introspection and dialogue. Listen... The first hour of Endgame, there's literally no action. Right. But the thing, the difference is, is that Endgame earned the right to say we're going to spend literally over an hour just mm-hmm. talking to each other, right? Because there were emotional stakes. You cared about the characters. Whereas here, you know, we care about Diana, mm-hmm. right? But the movie's barely about her. At like all. she's really, she's really not the star of the movie. Like yeah. Pedro Pascal, to be honest, is the star of the movie. Yeah. And he's he's just an over the top villain, right? So. We're meeting him for the first time, and that just that just throws off, I think, the dynamic and and really why is why is Diana why is Diana even even in conflict with Pedro? Mm-hmm. It's really just because there's like world threatening shit, but yeah. she's like Pedro and Max, the the character of Max Lord isn't really the villain of like Wonder Woman. Like it, mm-hmm. I don't know if it makes sense, but it's not really her villain. Like yeah. he's the world's villain because he wants to basically have all this control, mm-hmm. but there's nothing personal as it relates to Diana, mm-hmm. you know? And then that just leads me to my next point, that Cheetah was completely unnecessary in this movie. Mm-hmm. We really did not need Cheetah. We did not need <laughs> her character. Honestly, like, if you just really think about it, because, like, her character was just sort of a conduit to, to, to sort of represent how somebody could just want more, 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 and that greed could yeah. eventually take over and consume you and all of these different things. Mm-hmm. But in essence, like, she was just there to be a physical threat for Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. But she didn't serve any s- specific story purpose right. against Diana. She just wanted to be like her. Right. That's all it really was, but there wasn't any actual personal stakes I felt involved. And so by the time the end of the movie came and she fully transformed into Cheetah, which did not look good, by the way, mm-hmm. um, it just it just didn't feel... Like, you didn't feel anything. It just felt super empty. Um, and then, you know, there's more, I'm going to get into more, but you know, I've been talking for a while. The last thing I'll mention, this kind of relates to the pacing of the movie. Uh, it's too damn long. It's 151 minutes. This movie should have been shorter. Um, at least 30 minutes shorter. Um, there, there was just a lot that they did not need. Again, when you go 64 minutes and there's no action scenes, just as, 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 as people who watch superhero movies, you got to read the room. Listen, we, we, we're just not interested in that. When we see a superhero movie, we want to see some action. We want to see specifically Wonder Woman in action, mm-hmm. although she's, you know, barely in the movie in the first hour, like, yeah. not really doing anything. Uh, it just doesn't it just doesn't add up, you know what I'm saying? So, like, mm-hmm. a lot of that just tilted the scale in terms of the balance of having, you know, great character moments, great development and dialogue versus having really integral and engaging action that can help push the story along because mm-hmm. even the action that happened, most of it didn't really push the story along. Like, it was just action 
to say like, yeah, we have like four action beats in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it should have been shorter overall. I got more stuff, but I'm gonna go ahead and just like throw it over you. Let you let you go into your things <laughs> that you that you yeah, didn't like you, about it. Either. You know, I got a lot of stuff too, man. Um, you just talked about it. It's called Wonder Woman, and it was like, but where is she? <laughs> a lot of times in the movie, you might as well just na- rename the movie Maxwell Lord. It's a DC's doing a, a villain thing now. It's called Maxwell Lord now. Here you go, Pedro Pascal. You're the star of the movie. Because that's what it was. You know, we came to see Wonder Woman kick butt <laughs> is right. what we did. Whoop some ass. And we got <sighs> two and a half action, three, three and a half action scenes maybe. And they were, you know, not that long either, to be honest. They're not, you know, the most, um, I guess, uh, even well-paced. Like we were just talking about um, action scenes in the world. So, um, first thing I do want to talk about uh, is we talked about the opening, the mascara in the mall. What as, as much as I like those scenes, Loki, you can take them out the movie and nothing changes. Um, as much as I love those scenes, because what happens is even in the opening of the mascara, they're talking about um, how Diana cheated the race or whatever, and uh, her auntie's like, "Look, Diana, you can't you know cheat to get ahead." You know that that whole thing, and there's never a callback to it. It's like okay. But where is this? Is this because of Steve Trevor? You know, it's like question. I don't know. It just never really pops up. You know, like it's like okay, oh, what now? And then, um, you know, we get to the mall scene, which again, you you just said like it's great because it's eighties. You know, I like that part of it. And then it's like that's it. Where's the eighties now? You know, it's like where's the rest of the eighties in the movie besides Chris Pine trying on clothes? You know, that's like that's it. After that too, I think I'm like trying to think what happens <laughs> else that's eighties, but it's really not. There's not a lot of it um in the film. Uh you were just talking about Barbara's character, Miss Cheetah. Her whole character arc is based off her not being able to wear heels. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see her in the bathroom with heels on because she got you know, she she's trying to be like uh, Wonder Woman, and she has. <laughs> That's what tells us that she's all of a sudden like better. She's, she's a better of a sudden, version of herself. Like, don't worry, because she, she can fit the heel exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Stupid. And it's like I don't mind tropes in films, right? Um, how we've seen, I don't know, uh, Jamie Foxx, Amazing Spider-Man two, and Catwoman, and you know all these characters we've kind of seen very similar archetypes to hers, where at the beginning they're klutz and they're not very sociable. And they're dropping papers, and they don't have a lot of friends. And then all of a sudden, they get these powers, and Jamie Fox Gap starts missing. And that's kind of how I felt with her character, right? Like it's like, yeah. oh look, she can walk in heels now, <laughs> like peekaboo. And that, I, and I think that's why it felt like, even what is your purpose? Like why, why are you even you defending Maxwell Lord too much? You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, like you said, she's a physical threat for Wonder Woman. But it's also weird because in the, in the way the story is written, she kind of has to exist because Max Lord doesn't have any power. So it's like, you know, they're just not going to have no action scene. They're like, no, nah, we need Cheetah to do some fighting. You know, it was like, it's so weird, though, because it's like you don't need her, but you like do. I don't know. It was just weird. And I think it was messy um, in, in that way. And then, you know, we got to talk about this. You know, so this is this is the first part of the movie that pissed me off, to be honest. Like, I wasn't mad at nothing up until this point, but Steve Trevor, oh, we, no. we have to, t- <laughs> we got to talk about this. It, it oh, I was no. just so, my cousin heard me yell, like, in the house. <laughs> I was like, what is this debauchery? Because, all right, y'all, 
So Steve Trevor died at the end, first Wonder Woman. He goes off in the plane, says a couple things to 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 Wonder Woman. Diana gives her the watch, and then here we are in 1984. They're at this party, and this random creeper dude starts coming up to Wonder Woman, and we don't know who he is until he starts saying these catchphrases to Diana that he said in the first movie. Like he looks like a completely different person until exactly. the camera randomly pans. And it's all of a sudden Chris Pine. What? Like I get, I kind of get that we're supposed to be confused, but no, that that's not that wasn't it, bro. That just simply wasn't it's, not it. It's like, you know, yeah, like to the world, he looks exactly how he appears. Not to mention <laughs> this guy, this actor is credited in the, as handsome guy. That's literally <laughs> his credits, which is ridiculous. But come to come to find out, like he's been in like Hallmark, Hallmark movies, Christmas yeah. movies. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, like in that moment, we see that to the world he still appears as himself, mm-hmm. but to Diana, she sees Steve Trevor. Like that's what she sees because she makes the wish. You know, the, the Dreamstone is the central, it, it's a MacGuffin that's mm-hmm. placed in the movie, mm-hmm. which grants people any wish that they, they it gives, theoretically it gives you one wish. She, sort of under her breath, she doesn't even say it, but she wishes Steve Trevor comes back. But he doesn't come, you know, he doesn't reappear from the dead. He comes back as another guy, but only she sees him in that <laughs> way. Like, he still looks, he still looks the same to everybody else, because even that moment in the apartment... You know, Steve Trevor looks at himself in the mirror, and it's still the guy. It's still the guy as himself. But it's like his soul has inhabited his body. Yeah. It's super fucking creepy. It doesn't, it's weird. It doesn't make any sense either, because it's like, does this guy not have a life? I don't know. This dude, like, took over his body, and in the casting, he's just handsome, man. But he ain't got no family, a job. All of a sudden, Steve Trevor is just in this dude's body. I know he got fired. He had to get. He he ain't show up to, to work for a week. I know he got fired. Oh, just ridiculous! And then I just don't understand. Like throughout the movie, this stone is granted all this crazy. Which walls are being built, missiles are being launched, but you can't give Steve Trevor his own body. I don't like. What is the limitations of what we can and can't do? It just didn't make any sense. It was useless part of the movie that did not need to be there. Also, just what? Like where did he come from? I don't know, man. It's just all just just happened and it was just really that was just poorly done completely yeah that was uh yeah well we'll stay on that for a second the, the this idea and this concept of the dreamstone being the central macguffin in this movie like it's nothing wrong with having a macguffin mm-hmm. because listen I, i'm gonna have to make the comparison just because it's there it's there Infinity Stones yeah. in Avengers Infinity those are macguffins like that drives the narrative forward mm-hmm, it's all mm-hmm. about getting those stones before Thanos can acquire them because he'll eventually wipe out half of humanity. But the the big difference is, one, those Infinity Stones were part of previous movies. That wasn't the first appearance. They were part of previous Marvel movies before yeah. Infinity War, so they had that benefit. But at the same time, there were still... The, 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 the Infinity Stones were used as story elements within mm-hmm. Infinity War, like especially the Soul Stone. Like That's a specific story element in Infinity War. Yeah. They told... They told the story of that stone through the characters, right? This Dreamstone shit appears out of nowhere. Apparently, it's created by another, like, godlike deity. I I guess we're to assume it's, like, Satan or some satanic shit. I don't know. But, again, (laughs) like you said, the the inconsistency of the wishes, like, walls appear out of nowhere because some guy in Egypt 
decides to say, like, I don't want the colonizers to be able to access this land, keep them out. So a wall appears out of nowhere, and then at the end of the movie, when people renounce their wishes, it disappears. Same thing with the nukes. Yeah. The nukes come, you know, and all the, the world is about to nuke each other, but then when the, the wishes are announced, they disappear. So what are the, what are the rules of, this, of these wishes? Like, Steve Trevor can't just be, you know, brought back to life from the dead? Exactly. I don't know. Maybe, maybe his body... Maybe because his body didn't... Comp- I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense because there's no continuity... Make- um, exactly. or no consistency with those wishes. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, like you said. And, uh, you know, I think another thing is that this creates, this creates a lot of continuity problems because we're, to, we're led to believe that by BVS and Justice League, Wonder Woman has, quote-unquote, sh- turned her back on the world since yeah. World War I. Like, mm-hmm. apparently she was dormant and silent. However, if you look at this movie, that's definitely not the case. Like, there's no way that mm-hmm. all of this shit doesn't happen. The world is about to nuke each other, and people won't remember this. So by the time she reappears in BVS, like, why does it take Bruce so long to find her? Why is it such a hard search for him to figure out that Diana Prince is Wonder Woman? Why yeah. is the only photo evidence of her from World War One? Like, yeah, she she destroyed, you know, cameras at the mall in the beginning and shit like that. But you you can't mm-hmm. you can't sit here and convince me that after she broadcasts her voice to the world at the end of the movie, asking people to renounce her wish, people right. are going to talk about that. Like, right. that's a major fucking world event. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it creates continuity issues. So that becomes a thing. Um, that Dreamstone shit is just, like, ag- again, very inconsistent and creates a lot of problems and potential so crazy, plot holes. Bro. It's so, so crazy. Like, how do you... Yeah. How can you possibly just... I don't know. Like, you were 1984. You're the people about to set off nukes. The next day, y'all, y'all like, y'all just forgot. I don't know. Like, there's no, there should be something where once you renounce your wish, you forget what happened or something. Like, it just doesn't. It should be a memory wipe. It should yeah. be an easy memory wipe. Like, there's no way everybody doesn't remember this one day in 1984 where the world was about to explode and nuke everyone. Like, World War Three was happening, and exactly. <laughs> the world was pretty much about to go come to an end, and nobody talks about it. Like. Like you said, it doesn't make any sense in the continuity of BVS and Justice League and stuff either. It's just like, also, she doesn't know how to fly in those movies, I'm pretty sure. But, nope. yeah, I, whatever. Yeah. So it's like she's choosing not to fly at that she's point yet. Yeah, uh, I don't feel like flying. Also, like, everybody's not renouncing their wish. Like, let's be real. Like, we're, <laughs> again, we're in, we're in the 80s, which yeah. is, again, all about greed and consumption mm-hmm. everybody's now renouncing their wish like get the fuck out of here you're you're telling me that like that person who wished for 50 million bucks isn't gonna keep that they're gonna all of a sudden just be like yeah i renounce my wish i don't want this anymore like mm-hmm. bullshit i don't believe that so like what's their story because we you know by the end of it um after we see cheetah you know turn back to barbara yeah. we don't technically see her renounce her wish yeah. we don't ever see that on camera so like it's purposefully ambiguous so it's like Mm -hmm. does she have the ability to change Mm -hmm. back and forth like at at her will yeah or did she just renounce it off camera like again that's confusing and just like weird and unexplained like it's just so many things and just like ultimately like i think i think patty jenkins was definitely going for richard donner-esque era superman Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it was it was supposed to be that hopeful optimistic era of superman that christopher reeve era of superman yeah but in doing so she sacrificed i think what a lot of what made what made the first movie just so good because there's literally nothing in here that reaches the heights of the no man's land sequence in the first one like nothing even come comes close to that because that that sequence and the siege 
that follows right after No Man's Land. Like, that is incredible action, incredible stakes and drama, just really good stuff. And nothing in this movie even comes close. Mm -hmm. Uh, And particularly, I'm thinking about that fight with Cheetah at the end, which was just... I just I didn't like that at all. It mm-hmm. was it was dimly lit and it was dimly lit on purpose because we know that that CGI on Cheetah was not the greatest. So I think that they created low light and darkness so mm-hmm. that they could like hide as much as they could and they kept her moving. But as soon as I saw Cheetah and I saw you know Kristen Wiig and this, I guess it was CGI and a combination of like I don't really know. It yeah. just I didn't it didn't look good. It, it was it was very jellical cat mm-hmm. cat type shit to me, yeah. which is scarring enough to think about cats at any point in time in, in the rest of my life hated that movie but it, it just all it just all didn't really work for me so like even that final fight sequence like you said she's a physical threat she has to be there because maxwell lord can't put up a fight mm-hmm. but even then like i didn't i didn't give a fuck about the fight because i'm like this really doesn't mean anything yeah. we're just having this fight mm-hmm. just to say we had it but this is not the actual conflict that comes later when wonder woman is like asking the world to renounce their wishes mm-hmm. and and the maxwell lord all of a sudden he has a change of heart, you know, because his son is in, in danger. And we, we see more of a complete character arc for him. We, oh, yeah. see, we, see, we see him greedy, evil, powerful, and then he, you know, he descends further into madness and greed, of course, because he just gets more powerful. He becomes the Dreamstone himself. That's mm-hmm. what his wish is, to become the Dreamstone. So everybody's wishing for, you know, wishes. Um, you know, unknowingly, he's grabbing people and saying, like, you know, tell me what you wish, and he's manipulating people, yeah. and he's granting this, these wishes, but it makes him weaker. We find out that every wish, you sacrifice something, really. Mm-hmm. You don't just get something, and then it's over. Like, you know, Diana loses her powers. Uh, Barbara, she, I think she just sort of kind of descends into madness, of course. She just becomes more more uh, evil mm-hmm. and, and hateful. And then, you know, Max, his character actually gets weaker. You can see the Dreamstone. Him being the Dreamstone actually takes a physical toll on him, but then by the end of it, his son is threatened by this nuclear impending war that's about to happen. Yeah. He renounces his wish, you know, and then he, he ultimately, you know, confronts his son and says, like, I've been a bad loser father. I've been terrible. I've been a liar. Mm-hmm. I don't tell the truth. I want you to be proud of me. So he has a more complete character arc than Diana does in the movie because really what was her... I guess it was the Steve Trevor of it all. Like, she basically wanted him back, but then she had to give him up. But, again, weird body-swapping, possessive shit. Like, this guy didn't consent to this at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, again, it might as well have just been called Max Lord 1984 because it was more about him yeah. at the end of it all. And it's just really disappointing to see mm-hmm. how it all turned out. Again, with all of these negative things, the movie is not terrible. Yeah. But there just are a lot of things that you can pick apart and, and, yeah. and point at as, like, this doesn't this doesn't work. This doesn't add up, you know. Exactly. It's also, where did the little boy come from? I don't know. Like when he was searching for him at the end, he was like, "Where are you, son? Where are you?" He magically comes out of this bush. That I was like, Con- conveniently just how there. Did, is that how that how that was supposed to go? Um, oh, but again, one one really big problem with this movie is the uh, the lack of um, weight. There's no weight. Uh, I, w- I didn't want to make a callback. Remember I said how I love the flying part. She learns how to fly and Steve Trevor disappears. But it's just because the writing is just so eh. It just didn't carry any weight. I just found myself just kind of watching. There was, um, you know, a lot of times in superhero movies, my, the emotions are there, bro. I'm excited most of the time. I'm like, let's go. Um, having a great time. And I'm watching Wonder Woman. Uh, I just don't find those moments to be as good as they could have been if the moments before them were better. 
Um, and so that's kind of just what I come to, man. It just felt left feeling a little bit empty um, or a lot of bit empty um, when it comes to this movie. As, again, specifically tied to the first film um, where I was I was getting a lot of that. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Well, this this film has created quite the divisive reaction. Um, it's certainly it's nowhere near universally universally loved. I mean, I, and this is what I'll say again: it's not a terrible movie. Yeah, no, and no, people no. have been going people have been going in on social media, like really taking it above and beyond. Like people are calling this worse than Catwoman, the worst DC oh, movie no, ever made, the worst no, superhero movie. And no. I'm like, y'all are bullshit. No, y'all are no, telling no, 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 bold no. face lies. They don't even watch. You they can, can't. No, they're just making a good like people just again. It's it, Twitter and social mm-hmm. media is just a place of extremes. It's yeah. either ten or zero. It's popular you know to hate things. I still haven't figured it out. It's very popular yeah. to hate things. And people haven't even seen it, and they're making these conclusions. And mm-hmm. now it has like the, the the lowest IMDb score out of any DC EU movie, Wrong. even lower than Suicide Squad. Wrong. That's bullshit. Like let's not let's not even try to do this, you know. And I think again that just that just adds to the narrative of you know DC not being able to. Yeah. create great films which they have we've mm-hmm. seen them create great films but mm-hmm. this one obviously ended up you know being more disappointing than some of their more recent efforts but um i would encourage people like give a thoughtful reaction it's okay to not like it yeah, like that's fine. if you don't like the movie that's fine yeah. but you know like be be also realistic with you know with you know sort of your criticism of it as well mm-hmm. and and where it falls within the rest of the stuff that they do but um, all, all, all that said, you know, they're still moving ahead with another movie. Wonder Woman three has been confirmed. Yep. We found that out over the weekend. Yeah. Um, fast so, tracked actually. Pat- well, you know, they say that, but I'm like, I don't know. Patty Jenkins is definitely about to do rogue squadron, yeah. which doesn't come out until 2022. Like, I don't, I don't think we'll see, I don't think we'll see Wonder Woman three for at least another four years, you yeah, know, I and so. I, I don't, 2023? you know, I, I just, I don't see how you. I don't see how you can create two huge, huge two hundred million dollar films like that yeah, back to right. back. I, I mean, I may, maybe it could be done, but I I don't think we'll see it for another four years. Mm-hmm. Like I, I guess fast tracked just might mean like they're working on it, like it, yeah. it's happening. Because mm-hmm. also at the same time they're still doing it. They're they're still doing the uh, the Amazon's spinoff, which mm-hmm. I don't know if that's gonna be. I don't know if that's gonna be theatrical or if that's gonna be HBO Max. I think it's HBO Max, but. Um, I know she's like the executive producer. She's not like directing it, but she's still kind of behind it. They're doing that too. So I think that that's going to come first. That'll probably come out within the next like two years. And then like two years after that, we'll get Wonder Woman 3, um, hey. you know, to follow. Cause I think she's going to be tied down with the Star Wars stuff real soon here. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for the Amazons um, if she does it right. Yeah. Like, let's go back to Themyscira, please. Like, some, let's uh, do more of that. I need some Naomi action. You know. I got Naomi shirt on right now. That would be dope as hell, and that would be different. So I'm all for more Themyscira, more Amazonian stuff. But uh, yeah, man, I guess those are really our thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. Again, not not the greatest DC film, not the greatest superhero film we've seen. Um, not the a few worst. things to like, but certainly not the worst. Like, fuck out of here. Like, go watch <laughs> Catwoman. I dare you. Go I watch Catwoman. Catwoman. Watch Elektra. Mm-hmm. Watch that. Watch Jonah Hex. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Go go ahead. I dare you to watch those and come back and tell me that Wonder watch, Woman is still uh, watch Henry the Cavill's worst. chin in Justice League. Just watch the chin <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> just watch, yeah. Just 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 see how that moves. Yeah, no, that that that's bullshit. It's definitely not the worst. Um, but far from the best, of course. But hopefully, hopefully, with the next movie that they do, mm-hmm. since it's already confirmed, hopefully they can return to that former glory of the first film. They just have um, to it's take care of the script. That was the problem here. Take care of the script. Spend more time on it. 
catch as many loose ends as you can. That's it. Take care of the script. Do you think it's going to be another period film, or are they going to bring that present no. day? I think they should bring it present day it's to start tying into other uh, Justice League films. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. that time to go ahead and bring it to the future, whether it's, I don't know, where it ties into a new Superman or, you know, something like that. Just make it, bring, bring it to present day. It's that time. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think something, like, 84 is still modern, but I think something, again, more relevant to now, mm-hmm. whether it's that either be whenever it comes out, like let's say it's 2024, whether it's mm-hmm. set in that year or maybe even a little bit into the future. I don't know. But yeah, I think to tie in those uh, aspects to other characters in the DC universe, if they're going if they're going that route, that would probably make sense. So, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But those are our thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. Let's go ahead and move on. Another movie that came out Christmas Day, Disney Pixar's Soul. <laughs> What the? What is this place? What's your name, honey? Uh, I'm Joe. I teach middle school band. Got it. Go for it. Today started out as the best day of my life. Back here tonight, first shows at seven. Yes! Woohoo! You know what that's gonna say, Joe Gardner? <laughs> I did it. I got the gig. Must have been sudden for you. Whoa! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Help! I'm not done! Oh my! Oh my goodness! Huh? Is this heaven? No. It's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, look, I already know everything about Earth, and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life, like uh, pizza. I can't smell. We can't, we can't taste either? All that stuff is in your body. No smell, no taste. Or touch. See? Okay, I get it. Wow. It's my life. Is all this living really worth dying for? You're still alive? Can you help me get back? No way! There I am. What are we waiting for? Wait, not me! This weird. What is it? 151,000 souls go into the great beyond every day. And I count every single one of them. The count's off. Huh. Finally dropped. Again, another movie that we were supposed to receive earlier this year in June. However, it was announced a few months ago that it was going to be exclusively streaming on Disney+. And lo and behold, it certainly did come to the streaming platform on Christmas Day. Soul is directed by Pete Docter, who's also the chief creative officer over at Pixar. Yeah. Um, he, he also directed other classic Pixar films, such as Monsters, Inc. and Inside Out. Yeah. Um, and it was also written by him, Mike Jones, and Kim Powers. And the film stars Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Questlove, Felicia Rashad, David Diggs, and Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're going to go ahead and get into Soul. This movie is something we're also going to spoil, because, again, it's available on Disney+. Plus. 
Uh, you can go watch it literally right now if you want to. If you've not seen Soul, again, pause the, 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 the episode and come back to us later just so you can get those thoughts. But uh, let's just dive right into it, man. Uh, Soul is, is definitely the latest Pixar film to come out and create a lot of great, great response and feedback. I mean, mm-hmm. this continues sort of, you know, Pixar's almost unbeatable streak of just delivering great quality films. They've yeah. only had a couple of, I think a couple of misfires in there, but for the most part, they've been they've been pretty Teflon mm-hmm. and putting out great shit. Mm-hmm. Soul is the latest movie. Uh, it, it seems like to follow that trend. I'll just go ahead and say, I really enjoyed the film. Like, yeah. I, I really like it. it. It's so much to like about it. I've enjoyed, I think I might have enjoyed this Pixar movie more than a lot of their recent films. Like, it might be my favorite one since Coco, which has been mm-hmm. like three years mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um and they've had, you know, other films in between that, Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, things of that nature. But I really, really liked this film. There was so much there was so much heart to it. There were so many, you know, heartwarming themes and ideas. Yeah. The movie's all about, you know, following your dreams and, 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 you know, whatever your passion is in life, what your purpose is in life and what that means to you. Yeah. Um, all very resonant stuff. Damn near might have been the, the deepest Pixar movie we've gotten in a while. Mm-hmm. Like they're really they're really taking sort of like an existential look at life and yeah. what that means and how to, and how to lead your life and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall really liked it. There's definitely some things about it. It's not perfect. There's a few things about it that I'm like, I wish we didn't go that way. I wish this could have been something a little bit different. Um, I'll get more into that when we get into spoilers and things of that nature. But I think it just like ties. I like to say this all the time. Like two things can be true at once. I can really like the film and really enjoy it. However, yeah. I have a lot of, um, you know, things that are a little bit, a lot of feelings towards it that are a little bit more complex mm-hmm. and uh, would challenge sort of the notion and the idea of the film and the direction of the film. Um, and we'll get into those in a second. But yeah. um, what are your overall thoughts about Soul? Um, I also really enjoyed the film. Uh, again, Pixar is just always on a roll. Even the movies in between that you just named are still really good movies. Incredibles 2 and Toy Story 4. Like, they're still really good. So, you know, Pixar is still on top. Um yeah, they still can't be touched right now. Uh, like I said, it's really good, man. I enjoyed the the music aspects, how black it was, um, how I don't know. It's just a very deep film, to be honest. It's very I don't know if philosophical is even the word, um, but it's very I guess spiritual in a way, right? It it, it can be very emotional for a lot of people too, um, depending on you know where you are um, in your, in your mental state. And I think it's a very important movie, which is which is crazy that they pushed it back, but to end the year, right? To end such a crazy, terrible year. It was like a man, this is the movie I feel like a lot of people need it, you know, to to hear its message. Um I will say it's uh there's just again, I mean you said it too, there's just very small things that I think I was only slightly disappointed in for the film. Even a lot of people loved it. A lot of people were like, what, Dad, you're disappointed in some stuff? Which we'll talk about in a second. But it, it was just like, mm, it was just something that was just barely missing for me. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah, I, I, I too loved it. Yeah, absolutely. So again, um, Soul, we're going to get into spoilers, uh, plot spoilers. If you've not seen it and don't want to be spoiled, go watch it. Come back and listen to this part. So this is your official warning. So we've talked about this on the show. When we were leading up to this movie, we talked about the trope that exists in animation where mm-hmm. we think we're going to get a black lead, a black main character, yeah. and then all of a sudden 
that black character is transformed into an animal, a creature, something that's just not human. Mm-hmm. Something that, that eliminates their blackness, right? Physically yeah. eliminates their blackness. We saw it in The Princess and the Frog. We saw it in um, uh, Spies in Disguise, mm-hmm. um, Emperor's New Group. Like, it, it's happened, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a thing. What's interesting is that Pete Docter, you know, who, who's the director of the movie, he, he did an interview, um, I think it was a while ago, and he said he didn't even realize that that was a trope in animation. Duh. He didn't realize that that was something that would happen, that, that happened, and it's like, well, Duh. Pete, you're white. You're white. You you're don't have white. to pay attention to that sort of thing. So, um, and, and I really like Pete Docter. I mean, no, he's, he's great. great. He's a stuff, beast. But um, he's clearly blind to that. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that um, they've been working on this movie for five years. His last mm-hmm. movie was Inside Out, and the theme of the movie of, you know, passion and being unsatisfied with your life is actually born out of mm-hmm. his own unsatisfaction with Inside Out. Like, that was the movie that he wanted to make his whole career. Mm-hmm. Like, even when he made Monsters, Inc. and when he made Up, like, Inside Out was his passion project, and it finally came out, made hella money, like $830 million worldwide. It won, it won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. But after all of that success and after all of that critical praise and commercial success, he still felt unsatisfied because mm-hmm. he was like, well, what's next? Mm-hmm. I've achieved what, you know, seemingly was like my life's work, but now what? You know, so this idea of this movie was born out of Inside Out and people have like sort of made that comparison. Like it feels like a spiritual sequel to that movie, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of is. Um, but again, we talked about that trope that he wasn't aware of and it's interesting because they've been working on it for five years, but two years ago, that's when they brought in Kim Powers mm-hmm. to be a part of the writing team because mm-hmm. Kemp has said himself when he came onto the movie, it was in pretty rough shape. Mm-hmm. And they brought him on specifically to avoid those unfavorable stereotypes that exist about black people mm-hmm. because, you know, prior to him, who knows how many black people were actually working on this movie. Yeah. But you can see in the film the positive representations of black people, the right. things that do exist about our culture, that we do celebrate and that we do love. My favorite part of the movie, which is ironic because it also is somewhat equally problematic, is the second act mm-hmm. where we see 22, who's a soul, mm-hmm. that you know that, that finds um, Jamie Foxx's character. I think his name is Joe. Yeah, um, Joe Gardner. Joe Gardner. She finds him in this you know sort of afterlife, this existential afterlife, and they go back to Earth, and mm-hmm. we think... We think Joe's going to be back in his body. However, 22 takes over his body instead, and then Joe becomes a cat. Um, <laughs> there's there's problems with that because it's like, you know, she he asks her, why do you sound like a middle-aged white woman? And she essentially says, like, well, I can sound like anything. I'm not really a middle-aged white woman. I'm a soul. I can sound like anything. But it's Tina Fey, yeah. who is a middle-aged white woman, mm-hmm. so I can't eliminate the fact that this is who you are, right? right, right. Um, there's problems with the idea that she's inhabiting a black man's body that's mm-hmm. kind of weird. Yeah. This body-swapping shit, what is going on? Steve Trevor, Wonder Woman, uh-huh. this? I don't, know. Um, I don't know. But it does create some of the my most favorite parts about mm-hmm. the movie, because mm-hmm. it leads to that barbershop sequence, which was just yeah. stellar. Best part. Stellar. Fucking best part of best the movie. Part of the movie. Yeah. Because you see real barbershop culture, black barbershop culture. Mm-hmm. You see the conversations that they have, what what it's really like to walk into that. And then even, you know, even on a larger scale, New York City, like it's in Queens and how much black culture is represented there. Like it's just a beautiful, 
beautiful sequence because it's like that is that is exactly what it's like to go in a black barbershop. Like he walked in, yeah. his hair was fucked up, and they were like, "Oh boy, you need <laughs> some help right now." Yeah. And then they got into a real conversation. They talked about life mm-hmm. and what it means to you know follow your passion. So my favorite part was the second act because it was it was funny as hell too. Yeah. Like I haven't laughed this hard in a Pixar movie in quite some mm-hmm. time. Like Kent Powers came in and wrote that Knicks joke, which was just fucking hilarious. He yeah. clowned the Knicks. Um, and he talked about that. So there were a lot of great things to like mm-hmm. about it, you know, and I'm really glad of ultimately that he came into this movie because who, who knows what it would have looked like without his involvement. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is that I think that they did the best because, again, he was brought in two years ago, like midway through the production. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't really reverse course on the story and what they were going to tell. And the idea that in the first 10 minutes, Joe Gardner is not in his traditional body. We don't see Joe Gardner as a black man. We see him as a soul. And we were worried about that before the movie came out. When Mm -hmm. that moment happened, it sucked me out of the movie. I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Here's the entire Mm -hmm. movie. We're not going to see Joe. We're not going to see any more black characters. And then we do see Joe come back, obviously not as himself, but I was still relieved to see at least him being back on camera and then also his family as well, because we got exposed to them again, you know, in the movie as well. And his, his, um, his, his, um, you know, sort of bandmates that he was going to perform with. Mm -hmm. So that element of black culture did come back into it midway through the movie. So I was relieved to see that the entire experience was not completely void of that. We did get that black culture, Mm -hmm. but at the end of it, it's not really about black people. It's not mm-hmm. really about black people at all. Yep. I mean, it represents ba- black culture in some instances, but it's not about black people. And they didn't advertise it as that, but a part of you wishes mm-hmm. that that was a thing because we've gotten it with movies like Coco, mm-hmm. where like Mexican culture is at the forefront. Um, this isn't Pixar, but but it's Frozen Disney animation. We got it. <laughs> Whatever that is. I'm not, I'm not even going to talk about that. Um, this isn't Pixar, but in Disney animation, like Moana, you know, yeah. all about, you know, sort of like island culture and, and mm-hmm. that, and that aesthetic. Right. We, we, we haven't gotten that here. And again, it, it wasn't advertised as that. And I didn't necessarily expect it, mm-hmm. but it's kind of sad to see that it didn't see, happen now that we've seen the movie. I think that was my problem with the movie is that I expected it. You can't, Show me a trailer with a black man and the title of the movie is Soul and not lean into its blackness for me. And I think that's where, um, you know, my slight dislikes with the movie comes from, um, you know, on top of the keep turning black people into character stroke thing. But it's like there are moments where you lean so heavily into the blackness. I don't know. The next second you m- just might not give us that completely. Right. Like, we just talked about the barbershop scene. Sensational. I loved it. Probably because I loved it so much because they did lean into their blackness. But then, I don't know, maybe there's another experience that Joe has while 22's in his body. You know what I mean? That, like, I don't know, just changes that, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, there's just things that I feel like could have been done to lean into it even more. Um, Another thing for me was um, I thought it would be more musical. Not necessarily, and it's a Pixar movie, right? I didn't expect a lot of music, but I expected to talk about, I feel like we only talked about one kind of soul in a lot of ways. Sure. And we didn't lean into the music blackness part of soul, you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know if, you, if you've seen Trolls, the second Trolls, Trolls War Tour, but there's part of the movie where they go to Funkland and they lean all the way into it. Like, 
Bet Bootsy Collins is there, Anderson Pack is there, Mary J. Blige is there, and there's like this whole thing they have where they lean completely into the soul funk island. And I was like, man, if we would have got that in soul, it it's called soul, you know? I'm like, dang, we would have just got that. Like we do, we get little snippets of like when he's playing piano or you know what I mean? But even those moments still still felt very um spiritual soul and not all the way leaned into the musical you know the musical soul that i was hoping for um so yeah that's 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 where i took but even uh we talk about the barbershop scene you know david diggs actually helped come up with a lot of that um is what i found out and i was like not surprising i was like i cannot wait until pixar lets black people direct movies that's the thing right there i was just thinking that like i can't wait shouldn't it would be nice if a black man directed this or a black woman directed this. I can't like, wait. wouldn't wouldn't that be ideal? Why like, not? I, why not? You know, like it it isn't like the story isn't inherently about black culture, but to your point, it kind of is, and it mm. kind of should be. Yeah, like with the nature of been. the story, it should have. You been. know, like there's bigger themes, of course. There mm-hmm. again, that universe the the universe can relate to. We right. can all relate to about following your passion, following your dreams. Yeah. What is the meaning of life? What is your purpose? We can all relate to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that being the, the, the central story, but there's no reason that, that the experiences and the culture and the dynamics of, of black people can't be used as a vehicle to help tell that story. Cause again, exactly. the music, the music is supposed to be a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And, there's a little bit of it there, but not so much. Like not so much to the fact that it mm-hmm. it, it drives the story because it doesn't really drive the story, right. you know. And so it makes you wonder. Like I'm grateful that this is you know a, the first Pixar movie with a black lead. I'm grateful for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't need a black lead. Mm-hmm. It could it could easily be replaced with you know a white lead if mm-hmm. that was the case. Because like it doesn't. It's not. It's not essential to the story. And that in and of itself is a bit disappointing. And I know I know we, we always say, like, hey, we want more movies where black people are just in normal situations, situations yeah. that anybody can end up in. Like, uh-huh. it doesn't have to be about blackness and black culture. Yeah. I agree with that, too. Yeah. But again, I think all of that shit can exist. I think it can coexist. I think mm-hmm. you can do both in one story. Yep. I think you can bo- successfully tell a story that is about a universal theme that mm-hmm. we can all relate to while also still highlighting black culture and it doesn't, it doesn't have to sacrifice our lead eventually turning into some shit that he's not. Yeah, turning absolutely. into a soul or having his body inhabited by a soul that sounds like a middle-aged white woman. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to do those things yeah. in order to successfully pull that off. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, it's complicated, bro. Like, because, again, I, I think we, we, we both really, really like the movie. Like, oh, it's yeah. really good. It is. But it is. it's like, damn, like... Are we going to get this opportunity mm-hmm. again? Can we come back to this and like do yeah. something that's a little bit more representative of, exactly. of us and our experiences? You know, because mm-hmm. in watching it, I was like, "Ooh, I'm so close to like you know my mind giving this movie a ten. But when I finished it, I was like, "Ah, just something, just a piece missing." And I was like trying to figure it out, but I think that's what it was. It was like that, that that idea of that soul man that was just like, mm, maybe this movie's lacking just a little bit of it, <laughs> just a little bit of it. And uh, yeah, that was it for me. That could, again, that could be a representation thing. There's probably white kids across America who love this and not even thinking twice about it, you know, and uh, which is great too. I love that too. But it's like just for me as a black music 
<laughs> man, you know, I, I was just like, mm, just, uh, but barely though. But again, amazing. I love it. It's great. Um, I'm going to watch it again several times. Probably. I, if you know me, you know, I love Pixar up and down. There's only a couple movies I don't like. Um, mainly most of cars, but yeah, uh, cars suck. <laughs> Keep saying that for the rest of the time. Cars, most cars time. is ass. Unnecessary. Yeah. I think, uh, all in all, I think they did a great job. I can't wait. Like I said, to they find a black director for something. Um, Pete Doctor didn't have to do this movie. You got all these black people to sign on, sign one of them. You had Frank Abney, who just did, um, who who just did Canvas on Netflix. Who right. who doesn't work at Pixar anymore? Who just left Pixar? He could have directed the hell out of this film. Um, so you know what I mean. There's just little stuff like that, um, that I think could have enhanced the experience. But it's never too late, man. It's always the future, and I think they're gonna do, continue to do great. Um, Pixar is still on the roll, man. They're still on the roll. They absolutely are. So uh, definitely Soul is out there. Um, I, I saw a lot of people certainly enjoyed that much more than Wonder Woman 1984. Yes. A lot of people did like double headers, you know, on Christmas Day or, mm-hmm. you know, the day after. And uh, Soul was certainly the more um, pleasure pleasurable experience, I would say, out of the two. Um, so if you've seen Soul, let us know what you think about the film. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We're going to move on to our next film that we got to talk about and review, of course. The one and only Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, yeah. um, which premiered on Netflix um, just a few weeks ago. We also held a Two Black Nerds movie night to watch the film. Yes. Um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is directed by George C. Wolfe, written by Ruben Santiago Hudson, and the film is, of course, starring Viola Davis, Chadwick Boseman, Glenn Turman, Coleman Domingo, and Michael Pott. Yeah. A one, a two. Uh, you know what to do. This would be an empty world without the blues. I try to take that emptiness and fill it up with something. But they want to call me Mother Blues. That's all right with me. It don't hurt none. <laughs> Where's the, uh, the horn player? I got a friend. Come on, Libby. You rehearse like everybody else. I'm going to get me a band and make me some records. I know how to play real music, not this jug band shit. You call that playing music? I know what I'm doing. Go on and fire me. I don't care. When I got there, they began to say. That's to get the people's attention. That's when you and Slow Drag come in with the rhythm part. Me and Cutler play on the break. The sooner you understand it, and what you say is what Ma said to count. <laughs> we'll be ready to go in 15 minutes. We'll be ready to go when Madam says we're ready to go, and that's the way it go around here. These records are gonna be hits. Please come home to me. Every colored man in the world got to do his part. I'm gonna tell the white man just what he can do. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. About them songs I give you. They're not the right songs. That'll take them off your hands for you. I got my time coming to me. You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got beat here.
So, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, it's based off of the play of the same name. Um, definitely check this film out. Highly anticipated uh, for many reasons. I mean, obviously, Viola Davis is one of the greatest working actresses today. Yeah. Um, so, was going to watch it off of that alone. But then, obviously, had to watch it because, you know, this is Chadwick Boseman's final live-action performance that we'll see him in in a film, um, which is certainly bittersweet. Um, so, was always going to check out this movie. Saw it. Uh, loved it. Thought it was an incredible film. Yeah. It was um, anchored by two powerful, powerful Ooh. performances from um, both Viola and Chadwick. I mean, it was it was stellar to see them. And for a lot of the movie, they barely interacted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It wasn't really until the third act where we saw them like come, come together and they were you know they were button heads. They yeah. were not good with each other. Right. Right. But um, for a lot of the movie, we kind of saw them separately and their dynamics and how their characters were in relation to other people. Um, but then by the end of it, we, we saw them clash and come together and it, it fucking exploded. Um, and again, we're going to, we're going to get into spoilers for this film too. I'll, I'll warn you, but, um, overall really enjoyed this movie. It's definitely going to get, I mean, strong Oscar attention. I feel it in my bones. Like there's Mm -hmm. no way just from obviously the acting performances. Um, but I think also just like, uh, editing and, and, and sound design and all of those different technical awards. I think it's going to be a strong contender there. Even probably um, screenplay as well, probably mm-hmm. adapted screenplay. I think mm-hmm. it'll get it'll get attention there. Um, and it very much feels like a play, right? Like it is based off of a play, so the way that it you know it, it sort of paces itself out, you're in really just a few locations for extended periods of time. So like it's not jumping too many places. Like you'll sit you'll sit in one room and just see people talking to each other for like 12 minutes, right? Yeah. Un- uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it very much feels that way. And it, it represents a lot of those, those, you know, sort of older aesthetics and, and what, what the music scene was back in that time. Um, but overall really, really enjoyed this movie. It's, 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 it's stellar. And again, it it has really incredible performances from, from our two leads. So yeah, man. Um, let me hear your thoughts on the movie. Uh, same. You said it all. Uh, my mind Oscars for everybody, Oscars for Viola, Chadwick, Glenn, Oscars for the whoever made the fat suit. <laughs> for mm-hmm. my for my it it was just um enjoyable all around. Um we'll t- again we'll talk about spoilers here in a sec, but I uh, just found myself uh honestly just in, in encapsulated within the film. I watched it, I feel like I watched it so fast. Even though of course it's not long, but like just one of those movies I wasn't distracted. Like I didn't, I didn't look at my phone. You know, I was just in the movie the entire time. So um, I really did love it. I'll be watching it more times. Uh, yeah, it's 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 good, man. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're gonna get into a few spoilers here. So this is your official warning. If you've not seen My Rainy's Black Bottom, um, go ahead and watch that and come back to this. This is your official spoiler warning. Um, man, so. You mentioned how quick this movie is. It's only, which surprised me, it was. It's only ninety-four minutes long, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't expect that. Like I, I hadn't researched it really too much before I saw it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to kind of go in cold. Um, I was fully expecting this to be like two hours, fifteen minutes, and then yeah. come to find out, it's like ninety-four minutes. But it's really ninety-four, just like minutes of just like crazy just, good dialogue, yeah. great script, and great scenes and, and character interactions. Um, but it feels like a breeze because you're just wrapped up into this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really, I really appreciated how how much of that that 1920s blues influence really, you know, you came throughout the film and you felt it. Um, and obviously, you know, Ma Rainey is you know a real person, so the fact that it's like kind of based on her life and her story, 
um, is incredible to see. And, and Viola Davis, she did a, just, again, a, a show-stopping job in that role. But what surprised me is that, you know, she's top build, and it's really named after her. But I don't know this for a fact, but it feel like Chadwick had more screen time, technically, than she did. Like, if you... If you probably added up the minutes, like yeah. Chadwick was there all the time, yeah. which was a surprise, you know, and he's he's like a trumpet player in her band, but it's really, a lot of it is told from his perspective, and I gotta, you know, if you haven't seen this movie, this movie's dark. It's not like a, it's not like a really happy movie at all, like a lot of dark shit happens. It ends on a really dark note, yeah. um, you know, Chadwick essentially murdering one of his bandmates, mm-hmm. like... It ends in a really dark place, and just his character and sort of his descent into, I don't want to say madness, but just, you know, he just completely kind of loses himself throughout the movie. Um, It was unlike any other Chadwick Boseman role that we've seen him play. He's usually playing really optimistic um, characters that they have personal challenges, but they don't, uh, you know, necessarily appear to have all that many demons. I think uh, besides, like, Get On Up, which is him playing a you know a real life figure mm-hmm. in in James Brown. Yeah. Um, a lot of his characters feel optimistic, and mm-hmm. um, he has a certain gravitas that he brings to those roles. Like when you look at Chadwick Boseman on screen, whoever he's playing, you look at him as a as a leader, as a person that that has stature that that you can get behind and follow, right? Mm-hmm. But here he's a very uh, worn down, unsatisfied, unhappy member of this band, yeah. and he. He's clashing with everybody. He almost has a moment with pretty much everybody in the movie where yeah. they're just going at it. 100%. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. um, he's he's the, you know, in, in certain regards, he's the protagonist and the antagonist in the story. Yeah. Um, also similar to Viola because she's going at it with a lot of people too. But yeah. I just really appreciated seeing that kind of that darkness. And it's it's a little it's a little eerie and ironic that this is like his final, you know, on-screen role, that this was the character that we're going to see him as because... Um, it's a different term for Chadwick for sure, but I thought he mm-hmm. did an incredible job. And um, again, Viola Davis, she's one of the best in the world. That moment where she, that moment where she would not perform until she got her Coca Cola was, was like, this lady here. <laughs> this lady here, she is a she's a goddamn. I mean, she's not really a diva, but in that moment, she, she wasn't doing was, shit though. Yeah, she, right. She wasn't doing that shit until she got her Coca Cola, mm-hmm. and like she, the way she gulped that down, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, like, everybody was looking like, did she just okay? Did she really just do this? But yeah. uh, yeah, man, uh, a lot here to unpack. What else, what else did you think about it? Man, I, first I got to note the importance and um, just just weight that August Wilson's plays carry through in black culture by itself. Like August Wilson's work gave a lot of famous black actors their start, to be honest. I think James Earl Jones started on the August uh, Wilson play. Courtney B. Vance, Angela Bassett. What you you think they they could be married based off them being in the August Wilson play? It's crazy. Um, but Samuel Jackson, I think Lawrence Fishburne, all these people, like kind of got a lot of their early work based off August Wilson's work. And even coming off a couple years ago, we just seen Viola Davis and Denzel Washington play in Fences, which is also an August Wilson play. So it was mm-hmm. just like. I just love um, how these plays are just so, there's not a lot of set pieces. It's all acting and dialogue. And that is, if you can if you can keep people engulfed in a story and in a world for a certain, any, any amount of time, just based off, the, again, the script and the acting, you got your, you're talented. And so I just, I just have to give, uh, you know, August Wilson 
you know, some sort of praise for the, the work um, that he's always brought to black culture. Um, and so, you know, we've talked about it. Chadwick Boseman, man. Wow. Um, he had so many good monologues <laughs> that I was just like, four. Like, it, it makes you mad. But I found myself, like, smiling, even though a lot of things he was talking about um, throughout the film uh, where he talks about the, uh, the 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 rape of his mom from from white men who came into their house, like even though this is like one of the darkest stories you've ever heard, I couldn't help but to just be like, the world gave us this dude, man. Like it is crazy that Chadwick Boseman was actually, you know, he existed on this earth, and for that, you know, I had to be grateful uh, because he really did kill it, man. He did. Um, and then Viola Davis. Man, I think she's always gonna kill these these play like um, things because just like she killed fences, she had a, a couple monologues herself where you're just like, "Ma'am, where more Oscars, please? Just keep like keep at least three the more. movies coming. As much as I love you and um, your, your TV shows, right? Your uh, your How to Get Away with Murders. I'm like, I need you in some more films because you. I like seeing her get into a certain character for an extended period of time because she played the hell out of that role, man. The way she had to hold her mouth because Ma Rainey has this like top grill and gold teeth, you know, it's just, she's just different. Viola Davis is just different. Even like, I just talked about even the, the woman who made the fat suit, she get an Oscar, but Viola Davis even walking in the fat suit was like, your mannerisms are just different just by you. You know, everybody can't do the things that she was doing on the screen. And so I was just really entertained the whole time, man. Um, and then to get into a lot of the themes of the film, it's so sad to see how even uh, the climate of this film, how initially you're like, oh, my Rainey's this great um, blues singer and she has a, a great band. To see how even small parts of the band, outside of Levy, which was Chadwick Boseman's character, even they were, you know, had their own issues and they were hurt and to see what my Rainey had to come from or whether it's a lot really this film was about the exploitation of black artists in the blues era you know and in the end we see that you know the record is sold to or is uh re-recorded by this big white white orchestral you know jazz band you're just like it just makes you upset it does it is what it is like even uh Chadwick Boseman's story make you upset and to see him be driven by madness the way he was just by being denied so much in life you know, is really what the film was. <laughs> it's like, you know, we we can see the goods and, and you know, in, in these times and the music can drive us and Ma Rainey can get her, her uh, nephew that stutters to finally, you know, give us this, this, um, this record, but that record may never be published by her or people will never hear this record because, of, you know, it was just so much darkness that you, that you talked about in the film. Um, and uh, it it was just really cool. It was really cool. I wish I could have seen it on like a, a Broadway, you know, uh, esque um, stage. But yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it just goes to show how really underrated Chadwick is as a performer, mm -hmm. like a true actor. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we, we he he's played these huge roles, but the man can act his ass off. And I think I'm I'm you know again I'm of course sad that this was his final on screen performance performance and you know, those last few minutes of the movie, you know, um, after he kills, you know, his bandmate, like, that's that's among the darkest stuff we've ever seen him, mm -hmm. seen him do, but it's also, like, some of the finest work we've ever seen him do. 
Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we got it, but it's also a little bittersweet too. And, you know, I think those themes that you talked about are very prevalent. Like the racial tension obviously is there. Um, that claustrophobic feel of just like people being surrounded by each other for times on end and people don't really like each other, but they, you know, they work with each other and they deal with each other. And also how ambition, ambition can really bring out darkness in a person. Like you say, you know, Chadwick's character, Levy, he, he'd been through a lot. You know, there was a lot that drove him to the place that he ended up in. He was angry and unsatisfied, um, but he was also super ambitious, too. Like, he didn't want to mm-hmm. be her trumpet player for the rest of his life. He had his own aspirations of things he wanted to do, and yeah. that also, I think, added to this um, this this element of him wanting respect, and he never felt like he got respect, and because of that, he was going to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just goes to show, like, how ambition... Um, can can take you potentially to dark places if you let it as well. There there's so many so many things that that influence the story, but um, yeah, it's it's an incredible thing that we've gotten this again. I think it's going to get so much attention um, come awards time um, from from many different aspects of the movie. Yeah, I mean, just really, it just was really successful on all front all fronts. It's a it's a definite recommend, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that I think. To your point earlier, I'll be revisiting very soon again yeah. as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, my Rainey's Black Bottom, definitely a hit. Definitely go check that out if you have not seen it. And hit us up and let us know what you think of the film. Um, and we got one more film to talk about. I have not seen this, but I know you checked it out. Yes. Uh, Sylvie's Love, which just debuted. That was, what, the day before Christmas that it yep, debuted? It or came was out it? Christmas yeah. Eve. Uh-huh. Christmas Eve. So Sylvie's Love is written and directed by Eugene Ash. And the movie is starring Tessa Thompson and Namdi Asmuga. Asum- Excuse me if I mispronounced that. Tell me about this new boy at the store. Hey, what's your favorite song on this? You don't know what love is. I am not answering that. (laughs) Is he cute? I didn't really notice. That much. My band's playing tonight at nine if you want to come. I've never met a girl who knows as much about music as you do. (laughs) And television. Don't get me started. We've seen every episode of everything. How was it? He's extraordinary. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Can I walk you? Life's too short to waste time on things you don't absolutely love. But how do you know if you love something absolutely? I guess when it's the only thing that matters. The van got off at a gig in Paris. Come with us on tour. I'm afraid I can't. But I think you very well could be the next John Coltrane. What are you going to be? WNAT Television. I'm calling about the assistant producer position. Are you married? Yes. Hey. Producer's assistant's not the best job for a housewife. Why should I hire you? Because I didn't know that a Negro woman television producer even existed. And all my life, that is all I've ever wanted to be. It's been a long time since I felt the way that I do. Robert. Sylvie? What are you doing in New York? Recording an album. So good to see you. You too. You're working? You're not being a very good hostess. And what will people say? I can't be the woman of your dreams while also trying to be the woman of my own. I guess I just wanted you to be happy. Even if I couldn't be a part of your life. 
pleasant experiences ahead. Don't pass it by. But uh, yeah, man, what did you think about Sylvie's Love? Uh, Sylvie's Love was really good. Um, when you're watching it, you're like worried at certain points that you won't like it, but you always end up on the other side liking, <laughs> you know, the moment that you're in or, or, or what's going on. Uh, I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but I'm going to bring it back here. Earlier in the year, we talked about the photograph. And uh, we also talked about early in the podcast, I think, but how um, allowing black people to just be boring sometimes. Issa Rae talked about that too. Um, and you know what that looks like. And we got that in the photograph, right? Where this is just a love story. There's not super over the top drama. It's just, you know, there's, of course there's things that happen. It has to drive the story, but it's nothing like, you know, super baby mama, somebody, nobody gets shot. You know, it's not very traumatic um, in terms of how the story goes. And I think Sylvie's love kind of gives us that same energy um, just allowing black people to exist um, on their own in in the 1960s here where of course there's still a, a small racial landscape right that exists you have to like it you're in you're black in 1960s it exists but it doesn't harp on any of those things there's not a lot of trauma it's, it's really about a black love story in that time and what that looks like and uh and for that reasons i think i really like this movie um it's not a knock your socks off kind of film you're not gonna get up and go you know wow or wow that was one of the best movies i've ever seen but you i think most people are going to really enjoy it if you just you know want to sit down and have a nice love movie to watch you know it's uh it's it's nice just seeing a uh a couple fall in love and you know things things happen and so uh, i think it's you know super interesting um you know that we've gotten this film in the time that we did uh so it's it's good man tessa thompson does a great job uh namdi asamuga is blowing up right now because people are just now finding out that this Kerry washington's husband um and also you know he used to be in the nfl too um for sure so um it, it was it was just it was just a good watch for me um again a music head i am too he played the tenor sax in it and it it was phenomenal uh, I just in, in really enjoyed myself uh, watching uh, this sit down. So if you have time, please go watch Sylvie's Love. I think, again, I think you'll like it. Again, it's nothing over the top, but it's it's just good. It's just good. Nice, nice story. Definitely. That's dope. And that's on Amazon Prime, right? Yep, Amazon Prime. Nice, nice. Definitely go check out Sylvie's Love when you get a chance. I definitely not, know I got to check it out myself. Always always got to support Tessa Thompson. Really love her. So yeah. that's dope to hear that it was that it was a good watch. Um, another thing we got to review, of course, we, we, we've been doing it almost every episode since it debuted again. Uh, we got to wrap it up and, and bring out the final, you know, the second season of the Mandalorian. Of course, we have to talk about, uh, the final two episodes of season two, episode seven and eight. Episode seven was entitled the believer and episode eight was entitled the rescue. So, um, we're going to get into this a little bit and talk about our spoiler thoughts mm-hmm. with the Mandalorian. Cause boy, there is some stuff, uh, there is some stuff here that happened. Definitely some spoilers to take away. Uh, let's start with the believer episode seven. Of course, um, since we didn't get a chance to talk about it in the last two black nerds, but, uh, we saw the return of Bill Burr's character Mayfield, um, mm-hmm. come back in this episode. And he was, I mean, he was damn near on screen for all of it, damn near all of it. Um, so let, let's get into it and again. Before, you know, this is a spoiler warning. If you want to watch The Mandalorian, if you haven't caught up, this is your spoiler warning to to duck out before we get into it. Um, but yeah, Bill Burr was back. You know, they essentially needed him to um, get into an Imperial mining hub. You know, in order to um, to get information about 
Moff Gideon's location so that Mando can go, go retrieve the child since the child had got kidnapped in, in, uh, in episode six of this season. Um, and we saw, you know, Finnick, Cara Dune, and Boba Fett, they all teamed up um, along with Mayfield and Mando to, to, to basically um, enact this plan. Um, it was a really entertaining episode. There was, like, an attack from pirates that happened when they were, like, trying to get into the Imperial base. Um, that was really entertaining. But I think the probably the, the biggest sort of, like, moment that happened was actually, like, one of the more quiet scenes we've ever gotten from the show um, and it's when, you know, Mando and Mayfield are within that base and they're almost they're almost out. But Mando does some crazy shit that he he, he never does. Like he actually he broke his own code and he yeah. had to remove his helmet because um, one of the Imperial officers, you know, essentially kind of forced his hand to do so. So Mando really had to face a, a really challenging choice. Like he has this code. Nobody's to ever see his face. Nobody's to ever you know, he's never to remove his helmet under any circumstances. Um, and this is kind of the first time he willingly does so. Like, we saw his face in season one, but he didn't really willingly take off his hat. It, it was more so, or not his hat, his helmet. Um, he was almost dead and he had to be healed. But he willingly had to do it here, mm-hmm. um, which just kind of goes to show how much he was willing, or how far he was willing to go ultimately to, to, to you know, save the child. Because yeah. he was doing this in order to, to save the child. But that brought us another scene between... Bill Burr's character Mayfield and the Imperial officer, uh, a, a great, again, quiet, really tense scene of just dialogue talking about, you know, the Empire and the state of the Empire after Return of the Jedi. And, you know, they were, um, you know, discussing Operation Cinder, which was something that um, the, the, the Emperor had in place as a contingency plan if the Empire were to fall. Essentially, they had a string of planets that they were to go destroy, um, basically to, to still send fear throughout the galaxy. So it was really interesting to see them talk about that. But overall, a really good episode. I think a great sort of lead into episode eight, which we will get to the rescue. Um, and it was also directed by Rick uh, Famuyiwa, who came back. He directed an episode uh, last season mm-hmm. as well. But overall, I really liked it. Any any thoughts about um, the, the Believer? Man, you said it all. Uh, I think it was a good job. The part um where where they're where they're in the in the hub and you know he's he's having a uh when he had to take off his helmet it was just exhilarating um because you don't you know you don't see a lot of stuff uh like that ever really in star wars people breaking their code and you know this and that so i i it was just enjoyable the entire time for me um seeing you know what happens a lot of tension in that scene that i had no no clue how it was going to shake um and so you know that was cool to see but other than that, you said it all, man. It was a really, really good episode. I like, I like Bill Burr. <laughs> um, I think, yeah. uh, I think we had a good time with him there, and uh, yeah, man, I'm glad to see uh, that he had um, another role to play here. Because uh, again, he 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 came on and did what he had to do, man. So, you absolutely. Said it. And they have they eventually let him go by the end of the episode. He was technically a prisoner, but uh, mm-hmm. Coward Jones she let him go for his service, and so. Uh, I think we'll definitely see Mayfield back in the future um, appear in some way, which will be pleasant because I, you know, I never thought I would have wanted more Bill Burr in the Mandalorian, but after mm-hmm. this episode, I'm like, yeah, you did, you did great. Like, and yeah. I like you. You're funny as hell. So exactly. please come back. But mm-hmm. um, of course, that leads us to episode eight, the rescue. This is where the real spoilers come in because this is the season finale. Of course, everything's been leading to this, and so we see sort of a, a, a an Avengers Assemble type situation, like. Damn near every character that we've seen this season yes. comes together to, 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 you know, sort of 
carry out this rescue of the child. We see the Mandalorian, Boba Fett. They they reconnect with Bo-Katan and Casca Reeves, mm-hmm. um, which is you know played by Casca Reeves is played by uh, Sasha Banks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't think that she was going to be back because she said she wouldn't, but Liar. surprise, surprise, she was here. Um, get, right, good on her for that lie. <laughs> but they have been, they have, they they essentially agreed to help you know with the rescue of Grogu, Grogu um, so that in exchange, Bo-Katan, she can get the dark saber from from Moff Gideon. Yeah. Um, so they 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 eventually you know carry out this mission. Um, and they find Moff and and the child. We see Moff Gideon face off against Mando. Uh, you know the Beskar. Um, staff that, that that came into play earlier this season. We see that go against the dark saber once again. I think it was a great sequence, great choreography. Um, and then of course they brought the dark troopers, which were also teased earlier this season. They brought the the dark troopers back um, as 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 a sort of you know extra threat. But the the big moment here, of course. I mean, if you haven't seen it, I mean you you probably at least know by now. Fucking Luke Skywalker appeared in this episode luke skywalker himself appears in an x-wing to save to save the crew to save mando and his comrades from from impending doom he just easily takes out all of those dark troopers with fucking ease like it's nothing he just that man is his father's son he is the son of anakin skywalker for sure um, and we see Luke Skywalker take all of these dark troopers out with the green lightsaber at that. He strikes through all of them, just easily uses the force to does what he needs to do. He eventually comes face to face with Mando, um, and he's ultimately the Jedi that's come to, to, you know, sort of take Grogu and to continue his training, which was alluded by Ahsoka earlier this season in episode five, the Jedi, um, that, a you know, that a Jedi would have to, have to continue Grogu's training. Um, and here, here was Luke. I mean, I, who expected this? Who expected Luke Skywalker to be at all a part of this show? I mean, that's one of. I mean, that is the character of Star Wars. That's that is the number one character of Star Wars is mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker. You know, him and Anakin, his father, Darth Vader. Those are the the two big big characters from this universe, and he appeared here. Um, you know, I mean, overall, what what were your thoughts on? Obviously, the episode as a whole, but specifically, you know, Luke Skywalker, like, what the fuck, appearing out of nowhere, crazy. Hey, this is, this was easily one of my, honestly, one of my favorite moments in Star Wars, probably ever, to be honest. Uh, the buildup and the surprise was just crazy. I don't, like, I've, I'm trying to think of, like, moments where I actually yelled out loud, <laughs> like, <laughs> in, 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 in the Star Wars context, and it's not as, as least not as loud or as often um, as I did in this episode, man, because it's something about one, the Mandalorian, you could tell the entire series, they're staying away from most things Jedi, you know, like we, of course we hear about them and, um, you know, they're there and eventually we're trying to get Grogu to, you know, to, to a Jedi per se, but it's like, are we ever really going to see something outside of Ahsoka? You know, like, I don't know if we're ever, you know, going to get there and, you finally do it and it's the Jedi, like the one, like Luke Skywalker. I don't know. I just was not ready. Again, I was screaming all over the house. It was amazing. I had a great time. Um, but also what really makes this episode for me, you talked about it, is this in-game feel of everyone coming together. And what's so cool is they're all they all have Mandalore armor. It's like Right. But they but they all came from like different episodes, like Boba Fett and Bo Katan and Costa Reed. I don't it was just really dope. Um, to see all these people come together um, in the end, honestly, it it just, 
again, it was one of my favorite episodes of any TV show I've seen this year uh, because there was a mix of um, finale feeling. It felt like a finale to me. It was a, a feeling of um, really heavy Star Wars, great action. The Dark Troopers were really cool. Um, and fan service, you know? Luke Skywalker was huge fan service. And I was like, I just enjoyed every part of it like as soon as you see the x-wing part of part of you thinks it's it's the uh the ones you've seen from earlier in the season right like oh but then they don't respond and i'm like oh there's no way <laughs> like oh there's no way because they would have responded there's one person who probably wouldn't respond who has an x-wing right now and it turns out to be the one and only man um so crazy i loved every bit of it um great episode yeah the mandalorian again I, I i stand by this the best disney era star wars that we've gotten they just the way that they're so able to just seamlessly uh tell an original story but also to interweave the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy and also the sequel trilogy the way that they've weaved all of those together um really within this season it, it's just been it's been incredible. I think they're I think they're doing it all. You know, they're they're visit, visiting corners and stories of the galaxy that we haven't seen, which is something I've been really mm-hmm. dying for because mm-hmm. there's a certain there's a certain sameness that exists with a lot of Star Wars where we keep going back to those familiar elements. Yeah. Um and sometimes that's disappointing because it's like this is supposed to be such a huge galaxy. Let's see new characters. Let's see new shit, right? And right. And 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 I can I can kind of criticize the Luke Skywalker of it all because it's like okay we're going back to the Skywalkers yeah. again but mm-hmm. I but but I'll say that like as long as this doesn't become a regular exactly. thing for the Mandalorian then I'm fine with it like as mm-hmm. long as as long as this is perhaps the only appearance from Luke you know probably you know until he returns Grogu or whatever whatever happens as long as this doesn't become a regular part of the story then I'm okay with it. You know, I can take this one appearance from, from Luke, you know, because I don't want I don't want us to get stuck in the Skywalker saga again and again, you know, when we're supposed to be visiting new stuff. But um, the the Mandalorian is just examining so many different aspects of this galaxy and, and giving us a peek into things that we just never had the opportunity to see. Like, going back to the, you know, Episode 7 with, with Bill Burr, like that conversation about the Empire and, and just, like, how things were after the fall of the Empire and the Emperor, like, We've just never had that perspective before, like that mm-hmm. quiet conversation. Because mm-hmm. Star Wars is often just so big and it can be so loud sometimes, like just those moments of just like introspection and just like discussing shit, yeah. like what's actually happening out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate those moments. Absolutely. Um, to go back to Luke, though, the one thing I will say, that CGI was not good. They had to they had to make him young. <laughs> it wasn't was like that right after. Bad. Nah, dog. That shit wasn't good. That, <laughs> that, that shit wasn't man. good. That, that I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. That took me out the moment for a second because I saw it and I was like, "Oh, that could have used probably like three <laughs> or four more months of work." Like it. It didn't. It didn't look as good as as Leia in Rogue One. Right. I, I was like, it, "This this fit," and it didn't sound like him either. It didn't mm-hmm. sound like him. And I think. I think maybe even more so that kind of took me out. Like maybe mm-hmm. if it sounded like him, I could be a little bit more forgiving of mm-hmm. it. But I, you know, I think the combination of the the sight and the sound not really adding up. It was like, this is not the best. So I see why they're not lingering on on his face for too long. They kept him covered for, for quite a while. Um, but, you know, with all that said, you know, there's certain things where it's like, I'm not going to not going to harp on that for too long because it's still Luke Skywalker. Like, what the fuck? So um, I was just happy to see the Mandalorian in on such a such a high note. Right. Um, 
And overall, this season was fantastic. It For was sure. incredible. Um, certainly, in my mind, it's it, superior to season one, and season oh, one yeah. was great. But this definitely. this just took it this just took it to another level. Yeah. Again, it deepened it deepened the mythology of all of Star Wars and these particular characters, while also expanding the world so much so that we have three fucking spinoffs coming from this. We talked about Ahsoka mm-hmm. and Rangers of the New Republic in our last episode, but yep. we found out officially now that the Book of Boba Fett is coming next year, December yep. 2021. Uh, they had a post credit scene um, in this episode, which took place in Jabba the Hutt's palace, and basically Boba Fett is back in power. I mean, he's really... He's the kingpin of the galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it looks like the Book of Boba Fett is going to really, really hone in on his character. Again, that's coming December 2021. Um, and then the Mandalorian is going to happen after that. Season 3 is going to happen after that. So we won't get any new Mandalorian in the year 2021. Yeah. It'll be a while, but that's okay. They're still giving us the Book of Boba Fett, which I'm really looking forward to now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be just good to see, you know, it, hopefully it's like a, a crime gangster mm-hmm. type show again because he's like a kingpin. So it's like, Let's see him really, like, taking shit over, you know, in the galaxy. I'm excited for that. So, yeah, man, overall, The Mandalorian just knocked it out of the park this season, did an incredible job. Um, definitely recommend it if you've not checked it out. If you're into Star Wars, um, this this is this is highly, highly um, worth worth watching. It's, it's definitely a recommend, and it's great quality stuff. So let us know what you thought about The Mandalorian, the Season 2 finale, um, and Season 2 as a whole. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, at 2 Black Nerds. Um, we got some other news we got to talk about, of course, in the world of black entertainment and other things. So we're going to start off and talk about the first look that we got at Coming to America. We've been anticipating this movie for quite a while. You must heed my words before I'm gone, my son. Now, you will be king. The throne must pass to a male heir. Hakim, it appears you have a son. He must be found. Prepare the royal jet. We are going back to America. Oh, hell no, your majesty. Come on! I'm back! Say it again! It is so good to see you. Well, I be damned. Look who done come up in here. Hey, it's Kunta Kinte and Ebola. Famine and blood diamond. Nelson Mandela and Winnie. Those hungry babies with the flies on the face. Hey, oh, 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 that's too much now. You stepped over the line now. We won't be talking that kind of shit about the hungry babies. You're going to have to get out of my chair. Politically incorrect. So what you doing back here, Hotel Rwanda? (laughs) (laughs) I'm back. We finally got an official trailer. Um, mm-hmm. Leading up to the trailer, they were dropping like first looks and first images and things of that nature. So we were getting looks at costumes and seeing a lot of people come back. But they actually blessed us with a teaser trailer, yeah. um, thankfully. And we know, again, the movie's coming out on March 5th. 2021 it'll be coming a prime video but what did you think about the the the, the first look of, the, of coming to america you know i don't know 
it's 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 still really hard to tell for me. Um, and of course, you know, we kind of talked about before. I like seeing all the old actors come back, but there's a lot of critique, you know, happening with the new actors. There's like Tiana Taylor and uh, Wesley Snipes and stuff. The the way they're depicted in the in the trailer, a lot of people are a little iffy about some of those things. But um, as of right now, I still trust it. I'm not gonna lie to you. I know it, people. It may seem weird right now, or it may seem you know kind of crazy, but I think. I think they can, they still might be able to pull it off, but we'll see. You know, I have, we haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm still excited for the film, uh, regardless. Again, coming to America is one of my favorites, so um, we'll we'll see, man. What about you? Uh, yeah, I didn't know this until I saw the end of the trailer. I did, I really did not know this, but you know, your boy Kenya Barris is one of the writers yep. of this movie. Yeah, I did. So see that. uh, mm-hmm. that'll be interesting. But yeah, this uh, this trailer. I liked it. It was good. We don't really see much. We just see looks at everybody. It's just basically telling us, yeah, everybody's back. Like, James Earl Jones is back. Arsenio and Eddie are back. Um, You know, everybody's back. And also, again, new characters, like you mentioned, Tiana Taylor, uh, Wesley Snipes, Mm -hmm. Leslie Jones is in it, Tracy Morgan's in it. Not really a Tracy Morgan fan, so I'm like, Mm -hmm. I hope he's not in it that much. Um (laughs) Leslie Jones, she's fine. Um, Wesley Snipes and Tiana don't really know what they're going to be about, so I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah. we'll see. I was more pleased, again, to see, obviously, Eddie and Arsenio, but mm-hmm. then all of the characters that they that, that they play themselves, like the whole the barbershop quartet, oh, yeah. uh, Reverend Watson, and, you know, all of those people, sexual chocolate. Like I'm like, though, that that's coming to America. Like I'm happy to see all of those mm-hmm. characters. Um, so just seeing that that they're of course getting brought back is pleasing um i am looking forward to it still but again it's a sequel to Mm -hmm. in my mind one of the greatest comedy films ever made like probably a top 25 comedy film so uh there's a lot of pressure there of course Mm -hmm. and it's it's a different time you know so i'm just hoping that the jokes land and hit but you know the one little sequence at the end with the barbershop that made me that made me laugh a little bit so i'm like okay we might be in good shape so we'll just have to wait and see like you said but it was I'm I'm happy we you know we finally got a first look because we've been talking about it for so long so we'll see we'll see what happens with coming to America again that's coming out March fifth twenty twenty one on Prime Video um, also we just found out Naomi Aki um, who if you don't know she was in the Rise of Skywalker um, she's officially set to star as Whitney Houston um, in the Whitney Houston biopic which will be entitled I Want to Dance with Somebody and that movie is going to be directed by Stella McGee who directed The Photograph, which came out earlier this year, and it's mm-hmm. actually set for release um, Thanksgiving 2022. So we have a Whitney Houston. Yeah. Uh, officially having a Whitney crazy. Houston. Crazy, man. It's not like we've seen her a lot, which could be a good thing, you know? It's not like we, 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 we've we been, you know, seeing a lot of movies with her in it, a lot of projects with her in it. Um, so, you know, we who knows? This could be great. Uh, it's kind of up in the air because that's the, how biopics are. To be honest, <laughs> it could be really good or it could be eh, it could be bad. It's just the how they go. So we'll see what happens, man. I like the Thanksgiving release. I think that's a good time uh, to come out with a Whitney Houston biopic. Um, you know, she's a uh, she resonates throughout the holidays for a lot of people, um, whether it's you know like stuff like the Preacher's Wife or just her music in general. Um, so yeah, yeah. Apparently, there was an exhaustive like worldwide search to see who was going to play Whitney and. Eventually, they landed on Which Naomi. Which crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't like they just picked somebody, like, somebody notable out of Hollywood. Like, mm-hmm. they conducted a an old-school search, which I actually like that. I like when they do stuff like that because you, you give opportunities to, to hopefully break new talent, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping it's good. I mean, obviously, Whitney Houston, one of the most popular singers ever in history. Like, 
that's a lot of pressure. It's going to be a lot, a lot of pressure on it to make it good, yeah. especially we know Whitney's life was extremely complicated. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But good to see Naomi um, getting this opportunity. Like you said, we haven't seen her in much stuff. So uh, I'm hoping she brings it. I hope she got what it takes to, to, to bring this alive. But For sure. looking forward to it nonetheless. Um also, Judas and the Black Messiah has officially been dated for February twelfth, twenty twenty one. Um we didn't have a didn't have a release date officially, but now we do. We know when it's coming. Black it's History Month. It's around the corner. Quick, appropriate. Uh and again, you know, as we've you know talked about on the show, that will have a day and day release in theaters and on HBO Max. Yep. Again, that's coming February twelfth, twenty twenty one. Also Valentine's Day weekend. Yep. So movie night um, is coming. Very, that actually yeah. might be close to a uh when does Malcolm and uh, Marie come out? Is that the same day? I don't know if it's the same day, but definitely the same same month. It, it might same be the week prior, week like before? I think February seventh. Uh, well, we yeah. got some movie nights on us. Let me tell you. Yeah, Black History Month is already shaping up to be real, real, real good. So mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Um, we also just found out that a Lupin series yes. is coming to Netflix, um, which is starring Omar Sy and Lupin. I mean, if you don't know, hugely popular Lupin. Um, manga Luther. character, animation character. So. Um, is this, I don't know, is this series live action or is it going to be it's live action. anime? It's live wow. action. Wow. Which, the, okay. tr- the trailer is actually terrible. I would not recommend the trailer. Because the, <laughs> the trailer is dubbed. Oh. It's dubbed. Oh, no. And it's no, not a, dubbed good. That's the first mistake right yeah, there. Yeah, so it's like, just let them talk in French. Like, I know when I'm watching, I'm just going to watch with, in French with English subtitles. Like, why not just have the trailer be the same thing? I don't know. It was weird. But... Again, I'm excited for this property. Lupin the Third is pretty cool if you've ever watched them or if you ever watched the Hayao Miyazaki film, uh, Lupin the Castle of Caligastro, things like that. Um, but uh, pretty much he's just a, a a witty black thief, to be honest. He steals things, but he's also good with good with money. and um, It should be pretty cool. It's like almost like a bad, a, a bad Sherlock Holmes, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that at all, though. But, uh, yeah, they definitely got a trailer out, so go check that out. And that's coming out uh, next year sometime on Netflix, so yep. be on the lookout. Um, in other news, man, we, we I mean, we spent, obviously, the first, like, 35 minutes talking about Wonder Woman, but we just found out some, some really interesting news to go back to the DC side of things. Um, New York Times, shout out to you, just published an mm-hmm. article uh, talking about the release strategy for DC in the, in the, in the near future. So, yeah. We found out that starting in 2022, Walter Hamada, who's the president of DC Films, um, he's basically kind of the equivalent to Kevin Feige mm-hmm. over at DC, and he took over in 2018, and I would say has turned the ship around for them most for definitely. the most part. But um, yeah, starting in 2022, they're going to release four movies per year, and then also on top of those four movies, there's going to be at least two more movies released exclusively on HBO Max. And apparently those are going to examine more riskier characters, um, such as Static Shock or Batgirl. Um, and in addition to that, that's not all. There's also going to be more spinoff series that will also come um, adding to their release strategy. We've already got a few announced. Like, we know there's going to be a Peacemaker spinoff yeah. from the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. We know there's going to be a sort of a prequel spinoff series for the Batman, set in the Matt Reeves Batman world coming to HBO Max. Um, so it looks like DC's revving up. I mean, it looked four four films a year, yeah. and that's on top of. I mean, we talked about the exhaustive amount of shit coming out of you know Marvel, everything that they they just rolled out for Disney Plus, and that's not eliminating Sony from the conversation. They have their own universe running. Um, Valiant uh, Comics is doing stuff with Netflix that's going to be coming real soon. I mean, mm-hmm. this superhero era of 
films and television is not slowing down at all. Like, things are really ramping up. But uh, DC, I mean, he just, you know, Walter Hamada just kind of called his shot and said, like, yeah, we're doing this. And a part of me wonders, you know, I mean, the article came out over the weekend to coincide with the release of Wonder Woman 84. So it seems like that this has always been a part of the plan to, Mm -hmm. to, to announce this news. But also a part of me wonders is this sort of a reaction to everything we just found out from Disney Investor Day because they just mm. rolled out all of that shit, you know, mm. all of those shows, like Marvel specifically, 11 new films, 11 new television series for Disney+. Plus. So a part of me also wonders, like, was this sort of a reaction yeah. to let people know, like, yeah, DC got stuff coming too. But uh, overall, what do you think about just the strategy as a whole for, for what they're planning to do in the next few years? Uh, You know, we kind of talked about it, the whole, um, you know, theatrical and HBO Max thing at the same time is kind of in. I think it depends on what movies they decide to actually put on HBO Max. Um, to that kind of decides how I feel. You know, I feel like uh, I also didn't like the wording of riskier characters like Static Shock. Maybe Batgirl, but Static Shock to me isn't risky. Like this is one of the most popular black characters of all time. We even talked about the dumb reason the TV show got canceled. Black people love Static Shock. It is what it is. Literally, our logo. Um, depicted a static shock on a, you know what I mean, of the artwork we just came out with, and people know exactly what it is, you know. So I, I don't like risky here. I think it's a great idea. I don't think it's risky. I think it's going to be successful if they choose to make it successful, right? That's <laughs> if anything, the risk is on their part, <laughs> uh, not the not the audience side. Um, but um, yeah, I think it'll be a, a good time depending on what what all these are. So. I I need, almost need a slate at this point. You need to remind us what this schedule looks like, what movies, all movies you plan on coming out with, potentially. Um, I know they don't want to give us all the sauce, you know, right away, like Marvel does all the time. You know, they always give us, like, a whole, at least a whole phase in advance <laughs> a lot of times. And uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if DC's plans on doing that, but, um, yeah. Yeah, probably better that they don't do that, because when they did that, it didn't really, <laughs> didn't really yeah, work out. Yeah, it didn't work out for them. Mm. I remember in um, what was that twenty? I think twenty fifteen. No, it was twenty fourteen when before BVS came out, mm. they they had like this ten year plan, like we were gonna get a Green Lantern, Green Lantern, movie yep. and a Cyborg movie, yep. and the Flash movie, which we still have not gotten. And then eventually they just kind of pulled back on all of those plans, and everything got reworked and shifted mm-hmm. around. So. Uh, this this kind of reminds me of that. It's like I want to be careful. Like mm-hmm. you know, I definitely I want to see more. I want to see you know you do yeah. more with more characters. Like I want to see. Let's get out of the Trinity. Let's get out of Batman, yeah. Superman, yeah. Wonder Woman. Let's do some other things like Static and Batgirl and take slow, Peacemaker though. and and Adam. But yeah, definitely take it slow. Don't give us everything and like let's let's again mm-hmm. because they're 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 they are in the the back seat. They're not driving like Marvel is. They mm-hmm. have to. They still have to prove that they can put out one good thing at a time, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like as soon as they get some momentum, it's like then Wonder Woman 1984 happens. So it's like mm-hmm. exactly I think I, I think I think, you know, it's it's interesting to see. And then also I'm thinking like four films a year. Who the fuck? Who, what characters are they using? Because like you say, we don't have a slate. So it's like we know we're getting like sequels to Wonder Woman and Aquaman and Shazam. And then, we're, you know, we're getting that Flash movie. But like if you're doing four films a year and then two more uh... for HBO Max, who? Who are these characters going to be, right? Like, what are these? What are these properties? Hey, you know, maybe they're really so. getting into the nitty. They must be getting into the nitty gritty early or something. 
like you I have to icon movie a zatanna movie like <laughs> not icon <laughs> zatanna no. you know what i mean though like that's what yeah. it, in my head that's what's happening but uh maybe a justice league dark is finally in there i'd be excited for that you know like give me True. that i'm do it please i'm ready for that but you know that would be dope. That would be dope. They are. I mean, they're already putting out like four or five animated movies per year. Oh yeah, know, that's, so. that's different though. Um, that is it's definitely different. But I think to your point that it, it provides them opportunities, mm-hmm. even though even with those animated movies, they often stick with like Superman, Wonder Woman, Woman and exactly. Batman. They 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 do introduce like new characters as like supporting characters. So yeah, if they can, yeah, if they can pull from just like sort of that library of of just like even, unexplored. Even if you think you know, about characters. some of the popular characters they have in TV, I would go see a really good Arrow movie. I would if it's really yeah. well done. I'd be there. Why? You know who? Yeah. You know, I'm, do it. You know, maybe that's in there somewhere. Or like a even though we're getting Static Shock, Black Lightning is still important. Give us a Black Lightning movie too. You know, yeah, I would still be okay I, if they're good. I personally want a uh, since we're sort of in this, you know phase of giving villains movies give me a deathstroke movie i still mm, want to see that i would like, actually kill for a really good mr freeze movie oh wow I, he, you know i wouldn't have guessed that but that there, there's territory there there's has, good stuff there he has some darkness to him that you can explore for sure uh, that's true mm-hmm. i mean look at um the batman animated series like the heart of ice episode yeah with mr freeze i mean that's that's one of the best origin stories ever that yeah. we've seen it's you know it's it's different than the comics but it's it's just so good and so original like you mm-hmm. said it's a lot of darkness there obviously yeah. with his wife and just his personal demons um yeah that that could be interesting like a mr freeze yeah. Yeah, I think origin story deathstroke yeah. i wouldn't be mad at a zatanna movie you said that but i wouldn't be, i wouldn't be no, mad at that if, if it's I, done well yeah, i said that because i'm a big fan of zatanna i love the magic yeah. she brings to the table dr fate you know there's all these things all these people oh, dr. Uh, fate, martian yeah. manhunter like you, they have the characters it's just, oh yeah. They, it's all about the pacing, and four movies a year just feels like a little too. Y'all, y'all need to calm a little. Y'all need to calm down. Just calm down just a little bit. Yeah. Because we need, yeah, Marvel's getting there. They're they're about to do four movies a year, but it's like you know they yeah. can handle they it. had like, the foundation they, they, though too. You know they laid the foundation. Yeah. Like a lot of the characters we just named, you have not even a glimpse of outside of the animated universe. So it's like, nah. you know, yeah. Everybody we're seeing on the MCU front like has had some exposure before mm-hmm. or if they're about to have their first exposure you know in a new series or show exactly. we know that they're going to appear later like we talked about um miss marvel like she's going to appear in her show yep. but then she's also going to be in captain marvel too so mm-hmm. it's like the interchangeable nature is there and we know dc's like kind of stepped away from the interchangeable nature of it all and the article also talked about you know parallel universes and the multiverse idea like walter hamada explicitly said like we're doing that mm-hmm. like we're doing the multiverse you like have to. you will have parallel storylines parallel characters operating at the same time to. like there's going to be there's going to be Ben Affleck's Batman in yeah. the Flash and there's going to be you know Matt Reeves Robert Pattinson's yeah. Batman you know and um who's to say that that won't happen with many other characters so something can happen on Earth 1 such as this you know sort of Zack Snyder Justice League universe mm-hmm. but Earth 2 can be this you know different Batman universe that operates and I I you know I I, I agree with you I think that that's that's the way that they can stake their mm-hmm. claim to being different, yeah. you know, different enough than Marvel. And you can also, you can justify doing multiple iterations of certain mm-hmm. characters. But, um, yeah, again, let's make them good and let's also still introduce new characters as sure. well. Um, and that's, that time, and that's so. always been their thing. DC's always been, before Marvel, they've always been the multiverse people. That's what DC was. It, like, they, that's their thing, That's yeah. their thing. And it's just like, just be true to you and it'll work out for you. 
And, yeah, I think they can do it. They just got to, again, play it slow, slow down. Like we just talked about Wonder Woman, take care of your scripts. That's really what it comes down to. You can come out with four movies a year, but if the movie, if the scripts aren't taken care of, nobody's going to care. They're going to be all bad. But take care of your scripts, and you can you can do it. As you continue to say things, you continue to remind me of, of points that come on this article. Uh, we're going to move on in a second, but I have, I have to point this out because – in in that New York Times article, Walter Amata said, you know, before he got there as president, like he was surprised at how siloed everything was mm-hmm. and how scripts were so secretive, you know, uh, for for certain movies. Like people weren't reading scripts like that, and I'm just like, that's so crazy because at Disney, it's it, that's not the case. Like you know, I I read. Uh, you know Bob Iger's you know memoir. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob Iger was the the former CEO um, of Disney. He's still the chairman, I believe. And he talked about how he, I mean, he was very involved in all of the movies yeah. uh, from the MCU. Like he he gave Ryan Coogler notes on Black Panther. Mm. You know, and he talked about that experience with Ryan Coogler and like Coogler was like super nervous. You know, he didn't know what his reaction was going to be. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, and Bob Iger was like, no, this film is incredible i have like small shit for you like technical stuff yeah but, like, this is going in the right direction yeah. but bob Iger, he he was very involved and that, that's the guy at the top the tippy top you yeah. know mm-hmm. like very involved in the process on all of those big movies avengers and star wars like that siloed nature that existed with warner brothers mm-hmm. is not a thing at, 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 at disney like there's very much interchangeable stuff happening like yeah though there's marvel studios productions like you will get feedback from you know, Alan Horn, who's the president of the whole movie division. You'll get yeah. feedback from Bob Iger, who's over all of that. So, you know, it was interesting that Walter Hamada said, like, that wasn't really a thing before, but that should be a thing. Like, if you want to get something in the best place possible, you got to get as many people possible who have, you know, who have the knowledge for that sort exactly. of thing involved in the process. Mm-hmm. And you, you, like you said, you got to take care of those scripts. Like, if nothing else, you could have, if some shit goes bad down the line, like if, if if the CG isn't working out or mm-hmm. if the pacing is if something that you can always fall back on a really good script. Oh, you can yeah. always fall back on that. That's For the sure. foundation of everything you got, you know. For so that sure. has to be that has think to be about, good. Uh, think about the cheesy movies we love. Like it's not like they age well, not because of the CGI cause, or the technical effects or whatever, because they don't age well. The stories are just right. that great. Old Superman, Flash Gordon. Like we love watching the story, not the, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's really what it comes down to is how well this is written, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll be on the lookout for everything DC has planned. Um, in, in, in similar news, in multiverse news, um, Into the Spider-Verse 2 has dropped, you know, quite a bit of news. We, we have a little bit of direction of the movie and what's going to happen. So it has a, I guess it's a new release date. Um, it's officially coming out October 7th. 2022 yes, yes. and we actually just found out that uh excuse me if i mispronounce this but joe kim dos santos is going to be directing the film and then also dave callaham um is going to be writing the script and phil lord and chris miller are returning as producers thankfully so we got our you know sort of crew announcements and again it's coming october 7th 2022 um but they're pulling in some good talent here i mean yeah dave callaham um he, he he's you know a part of the script for wonder woman 84 which not the greatest thing, but he isn't the only writer. Uh, 
I'm not really a big Jeff Johns fan in terms of writing mm-hmm. movie scripts. Like he's a comic book writer. That's not the same skill set. I think I'm gonna yeah. probably blame him. Um, but he also he's on the Shang Chi script, so yep. I think that's a good sign. Yeah, for um, sure. So he's gonna be on that. And then Joe Kim, uh, he 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 was you know part of La- Avatar: The Last Airbender. The TV show. Um, yeah. The TV show that write the good shit. The, 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 the TV good, series. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, man, this is exciting. I mean, they got a good they got a good crew behind it. And mm-hmm. of course, we know the first one was. I mean stellar one of the best comic book movies we've seen i think ever so for sure this is exciting this is exciting this is this is something to look forward to oh absolutely i really can't wait i wish uh um, i mean we kind of just talked about it. i still wish it was a black person directing it but you give <laughs> it's like come on man miles Morales is black give us a black director like, yes please dang but it's okay. but uh yeah n- nonetheless nonetheless still still positive news still glad to see that this movie's coming in so we'll we'll be on the lookout for into the spider-verse 2 um, we also just found out finally, HBO Max officially and finally they've made it on Roku and PlayStation Five. Thank God. Um, they are now available because what the hell? They yeah. weren't available on launch. They it's been months and months and months. But I think Wonder Woman eighty four dropping uh, mm-hmm. necess- necessitated them to to get on as many platforms as they could. So um, they they finally dropped on PS five and then of course Roku was the big big holdup. And Roku was super popular. So. I know that they had to go ahead and uh, make amends and get 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 on that service, so they're now Absolutely. available. So mm-hmm. definitely, definitely download HBO Max if you haven't already. You probably could get it for free. A lot of people don't know this. You you're probably in a, if you're with A and T, AT and T, like if you have an iPhone and you know you're with AT and T and you have like a certain plan, yeah. Or if you have them for like cable or phone, like you could probably get HBO Max for free, because mm-hmm. um, there's still hella accounts that have not been activated. And I don't work for Warner Media, so I'm not pr- promoting that. I'm just promoting. Like, if you want more stuff to look at and want access <laughs> to even greater films and TV, yeah. why not? Why not do it? I had to I had to activate it for my mom when I went back home. Like, she didn't realize, because she has, like, uh, cable and, and internet through AT&T. She didn't mm-hmm. realize that she gets HBO Max for free. And I'm like, ma, like, you want to watch all this great stuff? Like, you get HBO, you get these <laughs> movies. Like, yeah. here you go. Easy as that. So um, definitely go ahead and activate that if you don't know. Um, speaking of HBO Max, though, uh, The Little Things... We got our first look Ooh. at that with an official trailer. Yeah. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we, you know, announced uh, or when we, you know, um, talked about the news of Warner Brothers films coming to HBO Max. The Little Things is a part of that plan. Um, that movie is starring Denzel Washington, the goat, Rami Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. What and a we cast. got our first official look. Yeah, great cast. It looks like it's gonna be a murder mystery crime thriller. Um, what did you think about this trailer, man? Uh, I was I was just excited to see it. Um, those three people put together is just not what I think of initially, right? To me, that's like three different corners of the universe <laughs> when it comes to acting. But it also kind of makes sense, you know, when you kind of pull them in together. And so, um, again, that just made me excited. Uh, Denzel's birthday had just passed um, yesterday, I think, actually, as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm excited for him to keep working, dude. Um, and hopefully we get uh, great things out of Jared. <laughs> you know, uh, we know we, the potential is there. He just needs a little direction, and I think this this film might pull it out of him. So, I th- I think we're in for a good film. Yeah, hope so. Uh, it's three Academy Award winners, you know. So theoretically, this should be something that's really solid and interesting. And again, I love I love dark, gritty, you know, murder crime stories. Yeah. You know, Seven, Zodiac, mm-hmm. uh, Copycat, movies like that, like this. This feels like that, um, and Jared Leto apparently is going to be, you know, sort of the the antagonist and the murder, you know, mm-hmm. the murderer, I should say, of, of whatever is happening. So, 
I'm down for it. Definitely going to be watching it. And again, that's coming out on you know, HBO Max, same day as it will in theaters. So that's dropping January 29th yep. of 2021. So we will, of course, be reviewing it after that comes out. Um, and then, you know, certainly last but not least on the news front, we didn't talk about this last time because it happened the day we dropped our yeah. episode. Uh-huh. Fucking Tom Cruise hey. went ballistic. <laughs> My man exploded on his uh, on his crew. So currently they're filming Mission Impossible 7, um, which, of course, like COVID is still obviously, you know, big and prevalent across the world. So safety protocols are still of utmost importance and apparently you know a couple of his crew members broke the COVID-19 safety protocols Mm -hmm. that were in place um we don't know the specifics like maybe they had their masks down don't really know but whatever they did it did not make Tom Cruise happy because some leaked audio came out on the internet and this man went the fuck in like he he blasted them from pillar to post about them breaking the rules mm-hmm. and um, uh, the, the the beginning of it. He talked a lot about the responsibility that they have across the movie industry. Like he's on the he's on the phone with with movie studios every night because people are trying to figure out how to do this and do this safely. And obviously, Tom Cruise is one of the biggest you know movie stars in the world, mm-hmm. so that doesn't surprise me that 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 would be true. But then also just the responsibility that they have to crew members, like people's families are on the lines, people's you know, livelihoods and homes and just everything is on the line. Like, you cannot fuck this up. But he, he said it, I'm saying it much nicer than he did. I mean, he, he pulled no punches. He he really went in on them. He was yelling. He was loud. Yeah. He was cussing. Mm-hmm. He did it all. Uh, but ultimately, everything he said was low-key true. Like, I'm yeah. not mad at it. Like, he yeah. made great points, you know. I mean, he blew up. He blew up at them. Um which you can, you know, you can kind of look at that as, as maybe being a little bit uh, a yeah. little bit too far. But yeah. he made some points, though. No. I, I'm not going to lie. He made some points. He and did. Listen, in the real world, people will blow up at your ass, especially if you fuck up on a major, major level. That can mm-hmm. put a lot of stuff, you know, it could threaten the, the existence and the, the livelihoods of people involved. But, I mean, yeah. what, what were your thoughts on the audio, man? Uh, same, man. I think I think the, I, I do kind of am leaning towards the he didn't have to – to yell as hard as he did you know it was leaning to the verbal abuse side <laughs> like dang dude like calm like you got some anger issues like calm down you know because i think there's a um it's still you can still like yell at them without you know what i mean like absolutely thrashing them with your voice it's kind of what it felt like yeah um so yeah, i think so i think he could have calmed down a little bit but like you said everything he said was completely valid um it was just it was crazy to hear. I don't know. I feel like I had heard something like this before, but I don't know where. I was like, man, I feel like I heard this before. Probably from a movie because yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you remember in Tropic Thunder, he went the fuck off like his character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was on the phone with somebody and obviously that's like a comedy movie, but he went clean off on somebody. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that Tropic Thunder scene. I'm mm-hmm. like, he is like I could I, he probably has a vessel, a blood Several. vessel sticking out of his head yeah. because he's so mad, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I, I agree. There, there's definitely a fine line between being stern um, and, and being an authoritative figure versus yeah. like verbal abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only I get I, I don't know, I might I might give him a little leniency because we don't know how many times this may have happened. Yeah, true. Like what if this was like the third or fourth time that somebody broke the rules and that just blew him up? Mm-hmm. We don't know all of that. So it's only speculation. But I mean, you know, nonetheless, he uh, he did it. It happened. It, it happened. was um, it was not nice at all. But uh I'm hoping Tom Cruise is feeling better and 
not so angry because he's not the youngest man. So you got to watch your blood pressure, Mr. Cruz. And uh, yeah, he's such an interesting. He's such an interesting person. I mean, he's yeah. so weird, but I, I still dude. love him as a movie star so much. For you know, sure. so yeah, it's kind of crazy to see to see that happen. And mm-hmm. it was like we weren't supposed to hear this, but it's interesting, like you said, that we're we're getting this like behind the scenes inside look into this whole thing. But Absolutely. I just can't wait for Mission Impossible Seven. Nonetheless, that's what I'm really ready to see. So of hopefully. Hopefully they don't get shut down with whoever broke those rules. But uh, right. anyway, we're gonna go ahead and move on. And um, um, of course we have to to pay you know homage to some people that we lost since we last recorded. So um, unfortunately we just lost two two legends in their own right. Um, first up, Jeremy Bullock, um, who is most known for being the physical portrayal of Boba Fett, which is um, we we lost him to complications of like Parkinson's disease. He was seventy five, mm-hmm. um, and I know he's had it for a few years. But this is just like we've now lost, yeah, you know, the physical portrayal of Boba Fett, the physical portrayal of you know Darth Vader, and Within then also like we lost two you know, weeks, two weeks, and then we also lost you know um, I can't remember his name, but the guy who played Chewbacca, um, physically, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, not too long ago. So it's just like damn, bro, all these legends, you know, who mm-hmm. were. The, the 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 physical makeup of these iconic characters we've lost. Yeah. Um. And then we also lost. We just found out this is really crazy. Um. But Brody Lee, um, who is currently wrestling for um All Elite Wrestling mm-hmm. AEW, um, just passed. Um. He was formerly known as Luke Harper yep. in WWE. In his time with WWE, he was most well known for being a part of the Wyatt family. Um. And and being the 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 tag partner to Eric Rowan as well. Um, but he just passed away. I believe he was 41, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found out that we lost him. He had a he had some complications with his lungs, but it wasn't it wasn't related to COVID-19. His wife confirmed it was just you know a, a really bad complication with his lungs. And again, lost him all too soon. Um, this year again is just taking so many so many legends and icons away from us. Mm-hmm. Um, some, you know, a little bit older, but a lot of people far too young. I mean, we've talked about other wrestlers who've passed this year, such as like Shad Gaspard, you mm-hmm. know, who lost his life, you know, saving saving his child's life. You know, he, he drowned, unfortunately. But, you know, now here we are. Fast forward to December. Brody Lee, like, yeah. I, 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 I saw this and I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. And mm-hmm. um, particularly with him, I mean, the outpouring of messages and support and love from like the the professional wrestling community i mean there's not been a negative thing said about him people have said nothing but the nicest things people you know said that he was the greatest husband the Mm -hmm. greatest father Mm -hmm. um just one of the best workers in the industry one of the nicest people you can be even though he's like he's a giant he's like almost seven feet he's 300 and some pounds but he was just like the nicest most genuine guy um and obviously for him to be taken from his family is a really sad and unfortunate thing. So, yeah, man, these that these it's just this year is just it's just not normal again. But this uh these two are really 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 sad to see mm-hmm. to see happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree. Uh, not much to say, man. Losing a lot of people really fast. Um, hopefully next year you know slows down. We need more people just dying of old age <laughs> and not all these health natural causes, natural right? causes, not all these health complications and stuff like that. So, yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's sad. praying for everybody's family. Um, that's all I got. Absolutely. To say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, 
Last but certainly not least, man, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, we got another movie night coming up. What, what are we going to be watching yes, real soon? Yes, sir. Here? First two black movie nerds of 2021. Let's start it off with a bang, people. We will be watching One Night in Miami, the film we talked about um, with uh, Regina King um, directing. So that'll be yes. January 15th on Prime Video. Again, it's her directorial debut. We're looking forward to it. I think it's going to be amazing. Uh, great cast. Like I said, great direction from Regina King. Um, and uh, just excited to see it. So one more time, Friday, January fifteenth, Prime Video. I know y'all got. I know y'all got Amazon Prime. So don't be acting like we can only be watching movies on Netflix out here. Y'all know y'all got Prime <laughs> nah. Video. So tune in again, January fifteenth. I'm giving you a couple of weeks ahead of time. Um, let's go ahead and set the time for 10 p.m. EST, um, Eastern Time, so 9 p.m. Central, and I believe that is 7 p.m. Pacific, right? That's yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 7 p.m. Pacific time. So um, be ready to watch that. Definitely, man. Can't wait for that one again. Regina King's de- uh, directorial debut. Um, of course, you know, when we watch that, use the hashtag to be in movie night um, as we watch it to let us know what you think about the film. That's going to be a big day. January 15th. That's also the premiere for WandaVision. Yeah. So it's going to be a great, great, great day for, for film and TV. So. For sure. Um, definitely check out WandaVision on Disney Plus and then hop on over later that night with us and watch uh, One Night Miami. Um, and yeah, man, with all that said, that wraps us up for this week. That wraps us up for this year, really. Uh, this is the last episode of Two Black Nerds in the year 2020. I'm not going to say the year of our Lord because this year no. was the, certainly it's not, the devil's not year. it. Yeah, this is not it. I don't know what was going on. Yeah. But ultimately, I can say we made it through. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are here at the end of 2020. All we can just say is hopefully 2021 gives us a lot more to look forward to. Much brighter days, less pain, less death for sure, yeah. less pandemic. Just just better better days and prosperity for everybody ahead. I really hope so. Absolutely. So um, just hoping that everybody, as we you know transition to 2021, hopefully everybody has a happy new year. Um, be safe, be blessed. Definitely uh, take care of yourselves, and we'll definitely uh, we'll be back in 2021 with yes, the next episode of Two Black Nerds. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I had one more thought that I have to throw in here. Freaking Wonder Woman, real quick. 1984. Oh, damn. She lassoed <laughs> onto lightning in the year 1984, right? There is a yes. song called Ride the Lightning by Metallica that came out in 1984 and they ain't use it. I'm really mad about that. Okay. Nope. Did not. <laughs> that, you're right. You're right. And that's one that's one of the many songs that they could have used. They didn't use Ride the Lightning. Uh another song, Owner of a Lonely Heart, one of my favorite songs ever. They did mm-hmm. not use that. Like, wow. came out 1984. What the fuck? Like, I, I can't believe it. Dropped the bag. Completely dropped the bag on the soundtrack. Uh, I can't believe But you. yes. But you yes. know, they did it. Whatever. Um, anyways, again, thank y'all so much. Please go to twoblacknerds.com. Cap, cop some merch. Tell a friend about Two Black Nerds as you're listening to this. After you're listening to this, tell your mom, your dad, your pappy, even though dad and pappy is probably the same thing, but not for everybody. To <laughs> tell everybody about Two Black Nerds that you can think of, man. We're trying to grow the community. We really want y'all uh, to not only enjoy this content, but the movies that we watch together um, and, and this and that, man. We, uh, we're trying to stay prepared as we move into the new year, trying to stay entertained for black entertainment. So, um, thank you so much for all that you've given us and all the support in the year of 2020. It's been a rough one. It's been a long one. Um, but we're going to start, you know, living our lives like Joe, right? From, uh, from, from soul. We're going <laughs> to start. Don't try up. to. Shit. We're going to try as best as we can, man. So 
Thank you again one more time so much for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out, y'all. Peace. Cry.